Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, uh, I feel like we need to open the show here with a moment of silence uh, for, for a show that I got killed. Um, so Limitless, I'm sorry. It's my fault, clearly. Yeah, no, it's your fault. You tempted fate by saying, congratulations, Les, you, you renewed a good show. <laughs> and then Les went, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to renew everything else but that show. Well, Supergirl, and, kind of. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that was, oh God, that's still so aggravating to me. Don't tell us that you're going to renew things when you're not going to renew. Th- oh, anyways, I've already complained about this enough. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any any thoughts on Lim- Limitless? Like, hopefully somebody will want to come on and do a DVD shelf on it now that that is a thing that we can do. But, um, right. you know, this is going to be one of those, like, one and done kind of, like, enlisted, I think. Some of these more interesting shows that we don't necessarily understand why they got canceled, but has less to do with the show not working and more to do with not matching the brand, the studio, the network is going for. Yeah. And I think that was especially the case with limitless. I think it was just something that they didn't understand how to make fit. Mm -hmm. And I think that CBS is one foray this season into trying to get younger audiences. They went, yeah, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. Limitless and Supergirl. They yeah. clearly don't want young audiences. Yeah. Right, which is fine. I mean, they're just, and they don't want women, apparently. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, admittedly, in their defense, like, I mean, they're not going to beat ABC in getting women. So those advertisers are bought up by ABC. So. I, I guess, but yeah, it still was higher rated than any of your, their new shows. I agree, but CBS but... is like, CBS's ratings standards are just so much higher than everyone else's <laughs> that's true that's true that's true um well we we shed a tear for for the limitless and hopefully those creators and writers uh will go on to other interesting projects i know i will keep an eye out for for some of them moving forward uh however we did get very exciting news or at least i did uh this week which is of course that the americans has been renewed for two more seasons yes ah two i, I that's a bit like I was expecting one because no, but like very few people watch it. But sure, except hey, critics. It, the <laughs> critics watch it and we love it, and Noel likes it, and it's not for him. Noel respects it. Yes, that's a good way to put it, Noel. Yeah. Um, but no, I, so I know there was. Uh, I was seeing a ripple of two. two? Okay, okay, sure, awesome. Uh, in the critical community of those watching us, uh, of those of us watching it, we were all kind of expecting one. But hey, if Landgraf wants to keep bestowing money and time <laughs> to the the Americans people, I'm super down with that. Um, yeah, do you, are there any other stories that you're or renewals that you're still waiting on, or is that kind of wrap up the upfronts season for you? No, that pretty much wrapped everything up. I think Limitless was like the one lingering thing that I was we I was waiting to hear anything about. Um, everything else was renewed or canceled pretty quickly, like right before, right during Upfronts. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's pretty much it. Limitless was the last dying grasp. And Netflix and Amazon were just like, mm, no, it doesn't really fit us. Bye. And it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't fit what they do. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, we're getting into, we're getting towards the end of the finales. Very excited about that. And there's, there are some new shows that are starting up or returning shows that are coming back. And we're both very excited about Unreal coming back in oh, a few weeks. Um, Kate, I finished the premiere. Oh, it's God. so good. I'm so jealous that you have the premiere. You'll get to talk about it without me, though, so it's okay. Yes, l- <laughs> listeners, Noel will be on hiatus. Uh, he will be on assignment for a couple weeks in, in June. Um, yeah. But we'll have plenty of time to talk about Unreal when you get yeah. back. So Yes. Uh, that's one we're certainly looking forward to. Do uh, any other new ones coming up that, that you're excited about or interested in? I like. Are, do you care about roadies? No, I don't care about roadies. I'm excited to watch Roots, mm-hmm. um, which is getting really good reviews, yeah. which surprised me because I figured it was like, Roots, Root is like the sacred calf of miniseries for good reason. It's phenomenal. It's a really powerful miniseries. And so the idea to redo it was something that I think met everyone with, mm, really? You want to you wanna mess with that? Mm-hmm. But the reviews have been really positive, and I'm eager to watch. I'm eager to watch it. Yeah. Well, and and for me, like I I bought the DVD for the original miniseries of Roots not long after uh, I started the podcast because mm-hmm. I saw them on sale, and I was like, well, someone's gonna want to talk about it's like At one of point, the yeah. the seminal, you know tv events in in american television history no one's ever mentioned it once no oh i think it's 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 really easy to forget miniseries i suppose yeah yeah i feel like for some people it's it's daunting and i think there's also i I don't know i also think that there are more of us because i'm one of them out there who have never seen it than one might expect yeah and i mean that's the other thing about miniseries is that uh unlike with most series you a lot of series you don't find miniseries like on syndication mm-hmm. or uh, necessarily streaming now uh, just because of like various issues so they're they don't exist in like the public consciousness enough they're mm-hmm. like very much like historical artifacts or they're things like the night manager which we're going to talk about this week and they're very new big splashy co-productions between countries and so older things just get lost I mean we've no one's going to come on and say, you know what? I really want to discuss a bunch of made-for-TV movies. <laughs> well, which is too bad. <laughs> it's too well. That, that's exactly what Steve uh, Procopi, yeah. part of the show, does. But we've seemed to have run out of horror TV <laughs> movies to see because he's come on so frequently and talked about them. But yeah, I, I, I would like to to dive in with with the original roots. Before I watch the new one, I kind of doubt that that can happen. Just I don't think you have time because it starts on like Monday. Yeah, yeah, I. <laughs> Yeah, I also doubt I have time. But um, but yeah, that certainly is one that I'm looking forward to. Andrew Tribeca, season two. Oh, did that get a date? I didn't even know that got a date. Oh, yeah, it's in a couple weeks. I'm very oh, excited. It's, it's, like, it's like the same day as the Unreal premiere, is the Angie Tribeca wow. season two premiere. okay, I totally missed that news. That's so exciting. Now, you're not, like, lying to me right now. I don't this think I am. Thing. No, I okay. looked at, like, a premiere calendar to update my, my shows list, and it was on mm-hmm. there. So this one is okay. not hearsay. This one is, like, Metacritic or one of those other online calendars. Um, okay. Yeah, so that that's a big one. That's a big one for me, and I'm gonna enjoy the Tony Awards. I assume, uh, just so that I can, uh, you know, listen to some Hamilton. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it'll win everything, but at the same time, I just really kind of want the Tonys to just troll everyone mm-hmm. and be like, "No, we're gonna we're gonna pull an Aaron Burr mm-hmm. and decide to wait." 
and <laughs> see what happens. And maybe after the, it comes back as a revival, we'll give it an award. Yeah. Well, and also I get, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing, I assume, isn't Waitress nominated? I've heard lots of good things about that yes, one. Yes, that Have was a- nominated for quite a few things, I yeah, think, as well. So- so there should be some other interesting things. So th- those are the ones that are coming up that I'm lo- looking forward to. Listeners, uh, if you have new shows that are coming up soon that you are curious about and you want us to check out, please uh, reach out, drop us an email, uh, you know, reach out on Twitter and let us know so that we can keep an eye out for it. But we should get into in- into the episode here because there's a lot of finale talk to, to yet to come. There is. And a lot of good and a lot of not so good finales yep, yep. <laughs> uh, plenty of that yet to come at the end of the show we'll be talking with Gwen uh, Inat one of the copy editors and also a contributor over at the AV Club about the love boat what love boat yeah we, we, we went old school for well not old school but you well, know Started in 1977. Yeah, you know, medium school, yeah, I feel medium like. medium school. Medium school. And that was a lot of fun. So that'll be coming at the very end of the podcast. But for now, we need to start talking finale. So we're going to cut things off here. We're going to listen to some Bob's Burgers. Yes. So good. And we'll be back with our week in comedy right after this. That stuff happens in the bathroom. I did I'm just glad that it happens in a vacuum. Let them see me with my pants down. Coaster's magazine is gonna be my big chance now. Cause I'll be out of here in no time. No one's gonna blame me, I'll be feeling just fine. Today is gonna be a great day. I'll do Coaster's magazine and put everyone That was the spectacular musical number from this week's episode of Bob's Burgers. I should say this week's finale, uh, season finale of Bob's Burgers. Uh, Glued, Where's My Bob? They also had Secret Admiral Error, which was fun as well. We'll talk about both of those. uh, And then after that, we'll go over to Fresh Off the Boat, which had its finale, Bring the Pain. I'll talk briefly about the detour, the drop, and then we'll round out our weekend comedy with the Carmichael Show, Porn Addiction. Um, First up, though, Bob's Burgers. I mean, can we just... You you had told me before I had seen it. Like, I I was days behind on Bob's. And you're like, Kate, Kate, this musical number is so good. And if anything, you undersold it. I loved it so much. I did too. Um, I just loved all of Glued. Where where where's my Bob? Um, Secret Admiral was uh, pretty funny as well. But Glued, where's my Bob? Just that musical number alone really elevated it for me. But just the end of that episode really just like this community rallying around Bob mm-hmm. was just really moving and really awesome. And I, if I didn't know that the show had been renewed for two more cycles, I would have been like. Was this a series finale? Because it felt like a series finale. It really did. And I, like, you had mentioned that sort of in passing before yeah. I watched it. And so it was in my brain. But, yeah, I, I, yeah when, as soon as they start, like, having, you know, that's just it's just the tone of it. Having yeah. so much of, you know, he's going to be uh, the, this laughing stock and the career's not going to take off. And it ends with, the, like, if that was a series finale, you could assume that, the restaurant was gonna like move plateau like move on to like a new level of success and the family's all together like it it very much is the feel of the series finale and we're gonna now get two more seasons at at least so uh so so we get all the joys of a good series finale yes without having to stop watching the show so that's very exciting that was very good um no it was just 
even like the post credit even the credit sequence with like the whole community singing yeah it just felt like a goodbye in a lot of ways and it was so weird mm-hmm. for it to feel like a goodbye um but no i'm really glad you enjoyed it i enjoy like i once again bobs is able to do kind of like literal like potty humor mm-hmm. but it not feel like potty humor um, which is always something Bob's has done really, really well. And it's one of the reasons why I love this show is that they find ways to elevate a lot of stuff. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. What did you think about um, Secret Admiral Lear? Uh, I actually also really liked that one. It was such a good Tina episode. And and when considering, like, Louise was much more prominent in the finale. So I liked that yeah. we had these sort of two back-to-back that gives a little bit uh, more rounded representation of the different members of the Belcher clan. But no, I actually had a lot of fun with it and and thought it was a really entertaining episode. The, the last run, most recent run of Bob's Burgers has been like a significant tick up for me. Like the one from last week with <laughs> Tina and the horse. I loved it. That was so funny. Voiced by Paul Rudd. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, so, so they've been on a bit of a kick for me because I was starting to like still really appreciative attire a little bit like it wasn't essential viewing for me sure. for a while and and this is something we had definitely talked about on the podcast they, i was getting a little tired of the songs and i was like i don't want to be tired of bob's bob's burgers music because it usually was so good but it just felt it started to feel obligatory so i think the fact sure. that they had taken several weeks off uh, several episodes off from that before bringing in the finale I, I think they started to sense that it was a little overkill and they backed off so that they could then bring it back in the finale and i thought that worked really well too so i have been i've been very on board with bobs recently even if we haven't been talking about it every week on the podcast right. it's always been it's always been it's been pretty solid like i really enjoyed uh the boy bands feud episode mm-hmm. of oh, the, the boo that crew was just, yeah the boo crew and i I love any episode that involves Louise, like, trying to come to grips with the fact that she feels things. Yeah. Because it's always so funny. Christian Christian, um, Skull does such a really great job of doing vulnerability with Louise so that it just feels really authentic. And that episode was just a huge, huge episode for her, um, both as a performer, but also for the character. I just really, really enjoyed it. But also, it was just great because, I mean, it was probably written and animated well before, like, all the One Direction stuff happened. Mm-hmm. And But that's all I kept thinking about while I was watching the episode. <laughs> oh, good times. You see, I, think, I feel like if you're doing an episode like that, you can just assume that... There's some boy band that that'll be splitting soon enough, so it's yeah. pretty much always going to be timely. Uh, but yeah, that that is a fun little subtext there. Any final thoughts on either of these two episodes, uh, or or shall we move on? Yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the fresh off the boat finale. Bring the pain. I, I really enjoyed the specificity of this one with the the Chris Rock uh, stand up special and and the uh, you know the, when I really appreciate when the show does this. It really takes advantage of this time period because sometimes you could you could I mean aside from the fashion and certain cultural references, you could forget the time period because it's more about sure. the family than it is about when it's set. But I you know again the fresh off the boat has also had a stretch of strong episodes for me and um, even down to i'm going to introduce you to my not chinese girlfriend and then i'll smooth things over right because we're going to watch malcolm x and you haven't seen it yet um with denzel with denzel. I love denzel yeah yeah no so which is such so a good. which is again a really 90s thing like i mean mm-hmm. plenty of people are still very much it's denzel but i mean that was very such a 90s thing yeah, but the 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 way that they put together the the family stuff, I I thought that like the the polite offer, like the the battling for the check, 
between mm-hmm. uh between Constance Wu and Ken Jeong was like so good. I, I was I Constance Wu managed out Dr. Ken, Dr. Ken uh mm-hmm. in that moment and it was delightful to watch. So I, I thought that uh, bringing in some elements of family made it feel more finale esque and finale like. So I th- I, I thought right. having the different thread of the the comedy special and the family stuff and and the politeness off or the polite fight or whatever. I thought it all came together and was a really solid finale. It was, it was a very solid finale. Uh, do you think that they're going to like have the premiere be in like Taiwan? I think or are they, they gonna will. C- or are they going to like come back from Taiwan? Basically they could come back from Taiwan, but I could also right. see them doing like a special two part premiere if they decide they want to yeah. go that way. Um, they haven't really done anything like that. But no, they haven't. It's been it, I mean, it's still like it's they're only wrapping up their second season. Mm-hmm. So and they had a short first season. But if, um, if you're going to ever do that story of these right, American kids the in Taiwan, now's the time to do it. And there's a lot that they can do with that. They can get a lot of mileage out of it if they want to. So I'd actually kind of be surprised if they didn't. What do, what do you think? I really want them to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be a really interesting shift for them to do something like that. And I'm hoping that's where they're heading with that. I don't know if they've confirmed or denied that i i I should check after we finish but i really hope that they do that i think it'll be really really fascinating i think there'll be more like you were talking about like with the plight off and that sort of thing i think there'll be more cultural specific humor which is always i always like when the show goes that route and so i'm that's what i'm hoping for is like more of that sort of thing plus i mean they have to get the grand they have to get the grandmother back <laughs> absolutely who, who else is gonna roll in with like beatboxes for everyone <laughs> oh man jessica's like the the hope in her eyes and her voice which is like, yes she's God, gone she's forever amazing. oh so good so good she, when she does like little wistful whispers mm-hmm. Oh, it it pains me that that woman didn't get an Emmy last year, and it's going to pain me when she doesn't get an Emmy this year for some stupid reason. Maybe or, she'll at least get nominated. It, right? Maybe she'll get nominated. I mean, the problem is, is that she'll keep lo- losing to Julia Louis Dreyfus until Veep gets canceled. Yeah, <laughs> that's not going to happen soon. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, I think we can agree it was a a nice a nice send off for the show and. Um, yeah, looking forward to next season, definitely. Um, next up is The Detour, and I'm just mentioning this one, uh, the episode is The Drop, uh, because there was this, I mean, it was a strong episode for the show. They've done a good job um, at this one. They, they st- kind of string us along until this episode without revealing the, any context for what's going on, like why the Jason Jones character lost his job. We know that there's some, like, proprietary thing that he's trying to whistleblow but this week we, we finally get some context for what that actually is and I think they they threaded the needle with that pretty well you know benign enough or or just boring enough to really fit with this level of stakes <laughs> that we've experienced but also you can see how it's important to the character and would make sense to motivate his rather extreme some of the rather extreme choices he's made for a dad on a road trip um so i thought they did a good job with that but the reason i wanted to mention it is as a as a liberal proponent of gun control of course i loved the scene where the 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 couple um the parents are, are fighting with each other about some significant, you know, trust issues. And, uh, it, it, and then somebody sits down between them and has a gun and they immediately turn on the gun owner and just are arguing about why it's incredibly stupid that he's got a gun at a at a, a fair, like a like a, a family uh, sort of resort kind of or, or 
vacation spot. Um, so your mileage may vary. If you do not agree with those politics, you probably didn't like that scene. But I do. And so I thought it was great. And I wanted to, it was just like this little moment of of you can just feel Jason Jones and Sam B's voice like that's just them in that moment. And it's delightful. Um, so I don't think that'll surprise anyone that I was enjoying the you know, the detour getting a bit more political than it tends to be. Um, but I can certainly take that. And I think, uh, you know, a little topicality and getting a little political will very nicely transition us to our last show for the week in comedy, um, which is the Carmichael show Porn Addiction. Not the most political topic, but certainly an interesting one. And I'm glad that they talked about porn on the show. Like, it's one of those topics that I think is really under discussed. Uh, and there, I think there's a surprising... There's a surprising contrast in how people feel about porn in our society. And how aware... Like, there are groups of people who think, oh, well, nobody, only gross people watch porn it's a really it's a like sort of the voice that's you know given to to Gerard's mom in this episode there's a I think there's a lot of people in the country who feel that way and then there's a lot of people in the country who just assume well everybody watches porn right this is a given at this point in our social like discourse we just kind of all know this right and so I think going to that topic and the way that they showed the split in the group on the topic worked really well and uh, it's one of those examples of um of taking a topic that maybe you wouldn't have thought of as being so so charged or, or as divisive, like the like the food, like the expensive uh, fresh food episode they did as like episode three or something in the first season, and and really talking about it and doing it well. So I actually really liked this one, even if it I wasn't laughing out loud. I liked that they had the conversation. How'd you feel? About right, that? I felt the same way. Um, one of the big things I liked about this is that the show does a really nice job of making. Sh- and we've talked about this before, and we talked about this a little bit with the um, the feminism and male-female roles, um, is that everyone feels, even when people are, like, being kind of, like, weirdly hypocritical about it, which is where Gerard kind of goes with, um, when he finds out that Maxine watches porn, he's just like, but I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> and... It's a not. It's a nice enough little twist because I mean, most of the time, if you've got porn, it's something shameful, and it's something for the woman to get upset about. Yeah, on TV, that's certainly the on way TV, it's usually that's, treated. Yeah, that's how it typically goes. And in this case, he gets upset about it in a way of not understanding the fact that it's me time for Maxine. Yeah, and that's a. I mean, first of all, just the just the idea that. This is a show that's a la- that's acknowledging the fact that Maxine uses porn as a form of like personal time for herself is just huge to give herself pleasure. Basically, mm-hmm. she goes to porn and she's just like this. This is this is for me. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just to have a woman vocalize that in a sitcom on NBC mm-hmm. is just huge. I think. And to your point uh, that. Again, this is just, they had a discussion about pornography and why we watch it, how we consume it in multitude of ways now. Like, uh, Gerard's um, following of Instagram of various porn stars, because they all have, a lot of them have, in fact, really active Instagram accounts. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really interesting way for them to dissect it. And also, I thought my favorite bit was just, his immersion in a very professional porn scene and her interest in a much more amateur 
raw type of porn scene, which I thought was a really interesting dynamic of, I like porn with mm-hmm. a capital P pornography, and I'm more interested in watching people who are adventurous and having sex, which when you think about it in this sort of sense, it means that she, Maxine probably maybe at some point would have liked to watch Gerald's parents having sex. <laughs> I, um, that might be a little too close because then you're right, going to see no, them again. Saying, but yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, that they made the kind, they made a sex tape, mm-hmm. and which was also just really fantastic. Mm-hmm. And poor, poor Fresh Principal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but no, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, and it was very, it was, it, it, like you said, it wasn't like particularly funny, but it was still really refreshing to watch it play out and how they played it out. And I'll always, I'll give porn addiction just huge props for just the idea of Maxine being able to voice the fact that this is, there are different kinds of pleasure and this is the kind of pleasure I'm interested in right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. Yeah. Well, and it's also, you see they, with, with Maxine and Gerard, they're definitely, they are not interested in consuming porn together. They both want to be a slow, but then at the end of the episode, you get Gerard's parents watching their tape. Like, Yes. Like, Gerard's mom does not want to watch other porn, but she'll watch a tape of her and her husband. And so, like, just showing, again, with all these different characters having slightly different reactions and responses and different relationships with porn, talking about the different ways to consume porn and the way that people think about what is porn and what isn't porn, and the, like, the sort of, um, just the, 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 like the the I'm gonna tell you that I don't watch porn and then I'm gonna wink like the the relationship yes. so many people have with was like no of course I don't because this is where our society is right. at with these things so I, I just again I this is the kind of conversation that I think uh, this is something for example that Blackish can't do an episode like this because there's too many no. kids on the yeah, show too many kids but this is exactly the kind of conversation that we can have on the Carmichael show and that I think is pro- is a healthy conversation a good conversation to have so I'm glad that they did it um, well what wins your week in comedy Noel uh, super easy it's uh, glued where's my bob uh, mm-hmm. just really funny heartwarming it's basically distilled Bob's Burgers. Uh, what about you? What when you're weak in comedy? Oh, definitely Bob's Burgers yeah. finale. Yeah, it was so good. I mean, just for that musical number and like the way yeah. that it was shot and the split screen and all of it. It was even then they float up in the air and Bob's pants are still at his at his uh ankles. His, his ankles. His his apron. Gravity has pulled down his apron, but gravity has <laughs> like not made his pants fall off. Like I enjoyed that so much. <laughs> it was a relief. It was the, the the other episodes I watched are also really fun and really entertaining and really interesting. Even. Plenty that we didn't mention this week, but definitely giving it to Bob's. Um, so now we'll take a break and come <laughs> be a little less enthusiastic and come back with our week in genre.
this week in genre, we're going to kick things off with uh, some talk about the premiere, the pilot of Preacher. Then we'll talk finales with The Flash, uh, The Race of His Life, and Arrow, Schism, before uh, I talk a little bit about Game of Thrones, The Door. I mean, how could I not, guys? How could I not? And and Outlander, Faith. And then we'll round things out with uh, Adventure Time, Five Short Tables, and Steven Universe, Barn Mates. Uh, but first up, the pilot for Preacher. Um, I know a lot of people were really anticipating this show, very excited about it. I've never read the comic. I know that it's like a seminal work, a second time this week I'm using that, <laughs> that term, uh, but a really significant uh, comic series for a lot of people. I have not read it. I think the premise is really actually very interesting, but I did like, so I mean, I, I appreciate Evan Goldberg and, and Seth Rogen, but they're not going to make me want to watch a TV show either of them, unfortunately. So I was not particularly enthusiastic about the the pilot or, or interested ahead of time. Uh, what about you? Sure. Were you anticipating it going into it? And what did you think mm-hmm. about the final product? I wasn't anticipating it. This is something that I never read. And just like when I was like really deep into comics, which was like in middle school, um, I wouldn't have been allowed to read preacher mm-hmm. um so i never got around to it and i just never had like a huge degree of interest in it i had heard of it and basically all i had seen were like the covers for it i don't think i've ever actually seen like a panel of preacher uh so i was never this was a project that i don't i just was just like but you're taking howard stark away from agent carter i have an issue with this <laughs> uh was my response to the preacher pilot um or the entire idea of the show so that was where i was go- where i was approaching the show i was just like how dare you take howard away from me um but as a finished product um it was fine um i wasn't like super pulled into it i enjoyed elements of it a lot and we can talk about what those elements were but I'm like a lot of people who I don't think were necessarily aware of the comic in any way, shape or form. I was just kind of lukewarm and trying to figure out kind of what they were aiming to do. And which I mean is fine. I mean, it's a pilot. You want some mystery involved and we'll probably get more answers in the second episode, which won't be this week. Uh, Cause AMC is just like, ah, premiere holiday, second episode. Um, just so dumb. But, yeah, I just, I liked it. I liked some of the performances. Um, the fight scenes were good, I thought. Uh, but, yeah, I just, I wasn't, like, gung-ho about it the way I saw a lot of reviews be gung-ho about it. Uh, what about you? How did you feel about this? Yeah, I, it, it sort of happened. Um, there's a few things that I very specifically appreciate about it. Which are, um, the... This show, when you're watching, there's a very distinct tonal kind of shift between some of the different parts of the episode or the, the premiere of the pilot. Um, and so when we're on an, all of a sudden we're on an airplane and there's a cross, there's a bow and arrow, crossbow. No reason for there to be a crossbow on this plane. Like, unless I missed a line of dialogue, I don't know why they have like an old timey spear on this plane other than so that we can kill people with it. But like, it just goes ridiculous with no explanation after being fairly grounded before then certainly all the stuff with jesse is much uh, much more grounded than it's like and now we have crossbows on personal jets okay um but that is their way of saying this is what the show is and right. uh if you're not on board that is fine the show is not gonna be for you that's okay here's the door the rest of us are gonna go enjoy this 
insanity. Um, and and so for me, I was just like, okay, credit for that's what they're doing. I'm not very interested in that personally. Sure. Um, but you know, like like this, I was much more in tune with the um, the Jesse stuff and the small town and all that. But I'm not really interested in an origin story for him. Uh, he doesn't seem particularly religious. He doesn't seem like he's moved by the spirit in a big way. Like, did you get a sense of that? Well, I think the first episode is very much about him coming to terms with why he's there. Mm-hmm. And as I kept trying to like elliptically allude to this was like some sort of promise to his father and that sort of thing, which is why he's there mm-hmm. and why he's struggling to do this in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And so that's why he's there. And it's probably why he's not good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause he's not like invested in this until like that weird spirit thing that blew up Tom Cruise, apparently um, <laughs> um, came into him and like helped him basically speak with the voice of God and cause that really terrific comedic actor to take his heart out in front of Brian his mother. Brian Husky, yep. Always yes. lo- he shows up on Beep all the time, love that guy. Yeah, no, he's he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where that's going, and I agree that there's not an origin story that is particularly interesting because, like you said, so much of this episode is very much about this is the world, and we're not going to flesh this out for you right now. Mm-hmm. And... That's that, and for me, that's okay. Like I can, I like shows that are willing to be confident enough to say we're not going to flesh this out right now, and you're just going to kind of have to go along with us for a little while. And I'm okay with that. And I'm probably going to watch like at least another couple episodes of this in part because I have nothing else on on Sundays right now. Mm-hmm. So it'll be easier. It'll be easier for me to like invest time in this. But at the same time, I kind of need like fill in the blank type of stuff to happen kind of quickly just even basic stuff like how tulip and jesse know one another mm-hmm. and this is in no small part because i'm pretty much just gonna watch this show for tulip because she's fantastic yeah um ruth uh ruth uh niga niga i uh, yes i question mark i just I, know her as flowers from shield right and she was she was kind of wasted on shield she's great on misfits mm-hmm. and um but she's so good here. Um, the introduction for her is just really great. It's easily by far and away the best part of the episode for me. And I need like that connection to be made explicit probably more quickly than I need anything else to be made more explicit. Because even like the stuff on the plane that you were just like, why the f*** is there a crossbow on this plane? Is very much like they're probably vampire hunters. Okay. And they hired him to be on the plane so that they could kill him really easily because it's like a contained environment. I guess that you was the put thinking. put so much more thought into that than I did. Right. No, I put I put a lot of thought into that. Um, I, I don't need them to explain Arse face um, mm-hmm. to me. Um, I don't want that to be explained to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think the other thing, and I think I saw some reviews mention this, is just like, unchain itself from like the 90s comic vibe as mm-hmm. well, which is like where you get a character like Arse face. Mm-hmm. Is such a 90s comics indie like not indie comic but like just outside the mainstream mm-hmm. and so figuring out how to navigate modern television sensibilities with a very 90s based comic is probably pretty difficult mm-hmm. and i'm not i can't speak to how well they did that and from what i understand the adaptation of this is strays pretty far from the source material pretty quickly so they're kind of doing their own thing but maybe not broad theme they're sticking to the story i'm not entirely sure but 
I'm not like super excited about it. So, well, you mentioned the like the flashbacks. We get these little clips of the father, Jesse Custer's father, um, being killed, and um, that was something where like when we just get like little, slightly longer, slightly longer, and we. Yeah, you get the sense so that annoying. there's you get the sense that there's more of it, and they're just gonna keep stretching that out and going to back to it all. I'm like, no, dudes, no, no. I want to see that entire flashback by the end of the pilot, or I don't know why I watched an extra long pilot because I certainly you they have not gotten me invested in this character. I think there's too much asso- like association or assumption that if you're watching this, you already care about the property and you already care about the lead. Like you're you tuned in, so clearly you care right. about the like. I was not given a reason to invest in or care about that that lead. I was for Tulip because she's awesome, but yeah. not for Jesse. And so, like at the very least, you can give me this whole flashback by the end of the pilot and not expect that I'm gonna like be so intrigued with the little drips and drabs that I will want to watch the entire X number of episodes till they finish that out so that I can have a context for why this guy is here. Um, yeah. So yeah, like little things like that really turned me off. But I mean, I absolutely understand watching it just for Tulip. Arts and crafts, I mean, come on, that was awesome. God, oh God, when she's just like, uh, I need paint cans and action figures to make a bazooka. And I'm just like, sold. I am sold <laughs> right now. I just want to show about whatever she's doing. Mm-hmm. Leave everyone else behind. I'm just here for her. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, on that that note, I'm just here for her. Um, <laughs> the flash finale. Uh, we're going to talk about. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and by the way, listeners, we will talk about the Fear the Walking Dead finale, which also happened this week. But I am behind, so we're going to talk about it next week. So uh, you can. You know, I'm, I'm very curious your thoughts, Noel, um, based on having watched Walking Dead for the first time in quite a while with Fear the Walking Dead. But that to be continued next week when I have the opportunity to catch up. And thank you for your patience, Noel. Um, but the Flash finale, uh, the race of his life, um, everything with the guys was so stupid. All of it was. Re- this was a bad. It was a bad finale. I know some people really liked it, but I just I thought it was terrible i like the stuff we got with caitlin i like the stuff we got with iris uh and pretty much and then everything else i was just like and i'm not just saying this because i was wrong about who was in the mask that's not why i'm saying this i just think the whole thing was poorly written misjudged and we're gonna talk about that freaking score but first noel i want to know your thoughts about the flash finale um i i approached the flash flash finale from a very comic book centered approach in that this what they're aiming for is a riff on a storyline called flashpoint from the comics uh, which was written by jeff johns who's now like the head creative director of like dc entertainment on film television and comic scale um especially on the movie side like he's basically like co-writing the new batman movie right now um but basically what happens is that Nora Allen isn't killed due to time travel shenanigans and it changes all of Barry Allen's like total existence. So to give like some reference about how big of an effect Nora Allen not dying has within the comic book realm, instead of Bruce Wayne's parents dying in that alley, Bruce Wayne dies and his dad becomes Batman and Martha Wayne becomes the Joker. So, I mean, this is, this is like a big ripple effect. Nora Allen and the Flash are like the key linchpins of 
at least since Jeff Johns has been like heavily involved in the DC universe, the Flash has been like the key lynch linchpin of the DC universe in a lot of ways. Uh, so anything that involves him tends to have massive ripple effects. So when the Flash, as a television show, decides to do, we're gonna we're gonna have Barry Allen save his mom, I immediately go, well then Arrow can't exist. And if it does exist, then that means Oliver dies halfway through season two because Barry Allen has no reason to go to Star City mm-hmm. halfway through season two and Oliver dies of poison. And so it just it's really frustrating to watch them do this big shared narrative universe and then do a big time travel shift and then go... But how are we going to do this? Are we going to, like... He's going to realize that his life... That he doesn't want this life that he's recreated for himself. Which is probably what's going to happen. And he'll redo everything so that it happens. Yep. And then he'll nod. He'll shake his head to him. You know, and and it'll reconnect us with the season one finale. And yeah. Yeah. Or it'll be something. Or we'll end up in, like, a weird pocket universe and mm-hmm. this will continue for a number of episodes, and then the other universes will continue as if nothing happened, because time travel actually doesn't have any consequences in this franchise, as Legends of Tomorrow has really just made abundantly clear to us. Um, so it's just, it's really, fr- it's narratively and dramatically really frustrating to do this big swing and be like, how are we going to resolve this? And my answer would be, well you're not going to do it in any way interesting because you can't commit to it because then it renders two of your shows obsolete. So you're not doing anything interesting with this. (laughs) Um, But I will say, like, on a positive note, like, the emotional steps necessary for Barry to get to the point where he's willing to undo this thing that he wasn't willing to undo last season, for me, made complete sense and really worked on an emotional level, in part just because uh, Grant Gustin is insanely good in this episode like insanely good for me like the anger the sadness all of it he's just he's firing on a number of cylinders in this episode and so this decision well my dad just died i am alone 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 and i'm broken inside and i need this to be okay and i'm gonna make it okay damn it because i have the way to do this and i think that that from an emotional perspective makes a lot of sense just from a larger franchise narrative perspective, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but like you said, the rest of the episode is just shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Zoom... I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in here, though, because yeah. <laughs> the, the decision at the end of the episode doesn't work for you because it connects with all these other things that it re- renders obsolete and just breaks their universe and their world. Yeah. It doesn't work for me because it's a retread of the same storyline and idea right. that they've already done i don't want i've already watched and resolved yeah i've already watched the show do this i spent the yeah. whole first season with that and then they got to the season with finale and i was very pleasantly surprised by the maturity shown by the show and the character to subvert our expectations and not do what exactly they're going to do at the start of season three now so it's like you're telling me that we got to the end of season one we had the season one finale almost universally praised by critics fans everybody was really on board with it we get to the end of the season two finale. We undo that. And now instead of having the fresh start to season three, we're going to be however many episodes they decide to give this arc before Barry undoes what he, we all know he's going to undo. It's just going to feel like wasted time. It's just incredibly 
incredibly frustrating. Um, it's it's like when when Arrow was trying to convince us that Felicity was going to die. We're all like, guys, we know you're not going to kill Felicity. Just stop pretending you are because you're show. Bra- or like Game of Thrones. It's like we know Jon Snow can't stay dead because then your show doesn't work. The narrative structure that you have outlined for years doesn't no longer holds so you're gonna have to unkill him stop wasting our time and pretending that you're not going to so like I absolutely agree with everything you said for the other reasons it doesn't work but even for me outside of the comic book narrative it's just bad storytelling ah it's frustrating no I agree that it's bad storytelling and I've been I had been kind of hammering this a little bit like I was just like Barry's inacceptance, sudden inacceptance of his mother was just really frustrating in mm-hmm. certain parts of this season because it was a recurring thing where mm-hmm. he was just kind of frustrated with it. And then Runaway Dinosaur is a fantastic episode, but it's still very much about him once again coming to grips with his mother's death. And I just went, but we did this in Fast Enough in the season one finale, and it was beautiful. I cried like a little baby. Mm-hmm. And you didn't need to do this again, even though, yes, it made me cry again because Runaway Dinosaur was beautiful. Yeah. But I, it just, it, it was frustrating to see that they can't trust Barry to mature enough. Yeah. And that's that's frustrating for me, that they can't trust Barry to mature enough. Um, but yeah, the rest of the episode's just, bad like zoom's whole plan is i'm gonna destroy the multiverse except for this one planet and we all went who the f- cares zoom nobody cares <laughs> it's just so stupid it's i just yeah. killed your father in front of you so now we can race <laughs> it's like i'm guys this does not work with the tone you have established for this show this is yeah. terrible terrible and then like it's like the episode is aware that it doesn't work so they have to make it part of some nefarious schemes like did you are we supposed to think that zoom thought that this would confuse barry so he wouldn't realize he was trying to destroy the multiverse because barry has some semblance of a brain like and he's surrounded by people with brains exactly (laughs) um so it's just it's just bad it's just so Bad, and I got to talk about the score here because yeah, no, let's let's do it because it was not good. It was terrible. Now, granted, when I watched this, I had just finished writing about the score very in depth and doing a lot of thought about the score for the Path um, finale. And the last, I really liked this, the scoring in the last couple episodes of the Path, and I've spent a lot more time thinking about scoring and television in the past like month or so. So sure. that. Granted, I'm more attuned to that than a lot of people yes. would be. And me, and I'll freely admit that, in part because you're, well, a trained musician. I can't even hold rhythm if you put it in a basket. <laughs> um, well, be that as it may, the score here is horrible. It's just trouncing all over the performances. I mean, yeah. like, Barry's father has just been killed in front of him. And the composer, uh, Blake Neely, Blake right? Neely. Like, Neely is just like, let's put, like, just keep layering on the synth strings. You know what we can do? We can make it even louder. Uh, Let's do the really straightforward chord progressions that one would expect to hear in a dramatic moment. And, you know, again, the most effective way to be dramatic, Noel, is apparently just make it louder. Add more instruments. It's a super loud mix this week. And they've been getting progressively louder over the past couple episodes. Mm -hmm. Arrow has been especially loud, but the Flash was really, really loud in Race of His Life. And I have no idea why. Yeah. It's like, you've got these really, really good performers. Like, I couldn't 
like I couldn't appreciate Gustin's performance in most of this episode because this the score was yelling at me so much that it immediately was taking me out of what he was doing. I was instead of sitting forward and leaning in to see what he was doing and just to be caught up in the moment, I was backing away, turning down the volume because I felt like I was being screeched at by these really unfortunate synth fake strings. If you're going to have a full orchestra, hire an orchestra for like like this is a the most dramatic one of the most dramatic moments of Barry's life and you can't like this is what you put with it are you are you are you shitting me with this it was it was really really frustrating no and it should be really frustrating um we talked about this a little off uh before when you after as you were watching the episode and my big thing was is that they'd been recycling a number of the tracks uh, this season in particular from last season and they did that again here and it's not like repeating motifs mm-hmm. or so like developing uh, and expanding on themes certain elements it's just no wholesale we're gonna put the entire track from like season one into this scene and it's just like guys do some new music or incorporate the old music in different ways that's that's what you kind of need to do with television, especially with like serialized television is creating motifs for characters that then get reincorporated and remixed given the situation or given where the character is in a particular episode so that we develop these kind of associations, even if it's not on a necessarily conscious level, we recognize them as we're watching and listening to the program. And that just wasn't happening and i'm like hyper aware when tracks come back since i listen to when possible soundtracks for shows while i'm writing my reviews so like i have the first season of the flash soundtrack on loop while i'm writing a review for an episode same thing with arrow like i have all three of the previous season soundtracks in a playlist and i just listen to them while i'm doing the reviews it keeps me in the headspace of the show but it makes I'm very much aware of when tracks get repeated sometimes. And this episode, for whatever reason, just wholesale picked up a couple of good tracks, but it was just like not super appropriate tracks either. Like heroic music, heroic m- moments when they're like going to the m- Megatron, Meg- Magnator, Me- the Magnator. Magnatron. The- Magnetron, the random transformer-sounding doohickey device <laughs> that didn't exist until this week. Yeah. Ugh, Zoom's plot was so bad, Kate. Yep. And, yeah, so it was just really frustrating on a whole number of levels. Yeah. Anything else positive to say? I liked that the team all got together and was like, okay, no, we just need to trank him because he's not making sense. God. That was I good. I broke my heart, too. Um... Two good things is, and this was for the season as a whole, and I mentioned this in my review when I was trying to wrap up and say something nice after tearing this finale into itty-bitty shreds, was that the Wests have been phenomenal this season. Mm -hmm. Like, Joe's had, like, less to do this season than he had last season. But the stuff that they gave him to do with Wally and Iris and Francine, even if Francine was barely a character... Uh, all the West stuff this this year was great. Like, Iris was significantly rehabilitated uh, compared to season one. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that 
you have a really strong rep- uh, yet again another really strong representation of a black family in a genre program like this is huge i think just from a representation standpoint mm-hmm. and the fact that they didn't kill joe as i kind of floated that they might <laughs> made me really happy uh so their stuff i really enjoyed and i'm also glad that today they confirmed that tom Cavanaugh is going to be back in some capacity in season three because when Harry went back through the breach to go back to Earth 2 with Jesse, I was like, oh, you love your daughter so much that you really do care about her happiness. This is a really good button. But how dare you take Tom Cavanaugh away from me? <laughs> do not do that show. I will quit you. <laughs> um, but no, he's confirmed to come back. They just don't, they haven't said how because, you know, maybe he'll come back as the actual Harrison Wells. <laughs> Who knows at this point? But well, he's certainly be back with the timeline season. shifted, then... Yeah. Reverse Flash needed to never go back and never needed to go back in time and kill the original Harrison Wells. Right. I I just I kind of want him to come back as Harry because I love Harry. Yeah. There's that. But you know. yeah. What was there like anything positive about the finale for you or like the season in general? Because the season in general is kind of a wash. Yeah. Um. The like I said, I liked the the rest of the team. Um. Kind of working together and having a different perspective on things, and I thought that worked. Uh, and was you know was was good. Um, I liked what they gave Caitlin to do in this episode. Um, I liked. Um, I, I didn't really care about um, you know the Jay Garrick you know and connecting with the other Flash show and everything. Like I'm sure a lot of people got a lot of a big kick out of that and about how like now the other Flash show from the 90s. I wish is it canon. had connected to the. I wish it had connected to the other Flash show, but he's like. Jay Garrick and not Barry Allen. So I oh, was is like, he Barry yeah. Allen in the nineties? I just assumed yes, he was he's Jay Barry Garrick. Allen in the nineties. Oh, yeah, okay. this, that was like I was like, yeah, Jay Garrick's fine, but you guys miss because that show exists within the multiverse mm-hmm. on this show. So yeah. it's just like, why isn't he the nineteen ninety two Barry Allen? <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Um, it was not like. I'm sorry, there's no reason for that to have been confusing. It would just confuse you if I said who it was or if we saw his face. It's like, at yeah, least they no, gave this... a reason for the mask because it was dampening his speed, but... Anything could have dampened his yes. speed instead of a mask. Yes, that's yeah, true. No, t- yeah. They clearly hadn't decided who was in the mask for mm-hmm. a long part of the season. They hadn't. Like, John Wesley Ship even said in an interview that they hire- the actor that they hired to be in the mask for the previous episodes mm-hmm. was told to study three different actors. <laughs> yeah. Okay. To mimic their hand movements. And then they made a decision afterwards. Okay. Well, there so, we go. Yeah. Great. This is something these writers love to do, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts on flash? I'm after this was like one of my favorite shows last season. I'm significantly cooled. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really frustrating because I really love this show and this cast, but this season was just kind of a wash and disappointing because they took a veer into like arrow darkness. Mm-hmm. The show's not arrow darkness. This is the reason I like this show is that it's not arrow darkness. And they just went, yeah, you know what? A little bit of grim and grit. That's what this needs. And I just went, no, it needs more cotton candy. Damn it. More ice cream. <laughs> more ice cream. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that the, this team can turn things around, um, yes. has the ability to do so. And I really hope they do. Cause I don't want this to be a thing where I really like pieces of, or I like what the show could be, but it's not going to be that again, which is certainly, um, something that other shows have 
struggled with. So uh, hopefully they will take advantage of the hiatus to remember what makes the show work and what makes it um, really come together. And we'll get that in season three. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Our next episode is the Arrow finale schism. I have very little to say about this one. Um, we're, th- we're out of the season four. Uh, hopefully no more flashbacks next year. Please. No, 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 no. We still have a season of flashbacks. He has to go to Russia. Can't he just do that in one episode? Please. No, because he, he has to do like the Rothva. He has to get the tattoo. And then he has to get back to the island so that people can find him. No, Kate, this was a five-year plan. So after after season five, when the show gets a sixth season, they'll just start flashing back to season one. Listeners, you can't see this, but I was literally pulling my hair out. Not out, but pulling it as if I would like to pull it out. Um, that's incredibly frustrating and nobody cares. When, like when you talk to anybody about this show, um, I'm using a little bit of hyperbole, but not a lot because literally every person I have talked to about Arrow, like who's currently watching it, we never even remember that the flashbacks backs exist. When we're talking about the show and what we like about it, what, we, what we're not digging and everything, we kind of, at the end of the conversation, turns, oh yeah, and I guess we haven't, there's the flashbacks. Oh yeah, I forgot those exist because they're terrible. They've been terrible since season two. Yeah, yeah. It's just they need... Ugh. Anyways, that's not going to happen. Um, so the, the flashbacks here were useless. Um, didn't care about that. Was a waste of a giant chunk of the season. Didn't need to happen. Um, the stuff we got with the team splitting apart. Okay, they're going to split apart over the hiatus and then they'll come back together within the first episode or two. So, okay, they've earned a vacation, I guess. Um, they don't quite. I was expecting them to have Felicity redeclare her love, so, so that would inspire the the hope for Oliver. So I like that they went a different way with that. Um, but just as a whole, it was just such a whimper of of really a season, but definitely a last stretch of the season. Um, they didn't earn the nuke, like you said they wouldn't, and they. They they at least and then they, they repeated the nuke was the other problem. It was just yeah. Like, oh. We blew up a city, and now we're maybe going to blow up another one. No, yeah. stop! No, yeah. no, no more, no, no more nukes. Okay. I Ever. did, I did like that they kept coming back to Laurel and her impact on them in the finale. No, not for you. No, they're not enough reason s- to kill her. But I think that since exactly. they did kill her, but since they did kill her, at least her death seems to actually be affecting them until the season premiere next year. Uh, for me, this episode was just kind of a big shrug. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of my big things that I mentioned in my review is that this season ended up reminding me a lot of season one in that it's big thematic idea of this idea of hope and hope and darkness reminded me a lot about the, uh, show's struggles to properly articulate its ideas about justice and revenge that season one was really obsessed with. And that happened a lot in this season as well, because they never really, they just kind of gave up on the idea of hope after Felicity got shot. They just went, oh, well, Oliver's done. He's, he's not going to inspire anyone. And he hasn't inspired anyone as the Green Arrow. So it's just like, well, whatever. So now we're going to care about this. And Oliver's going to give a speech that stops rioters, just like he's friggin' Dana Scully in the X-Files. I was going to say, I was like, it was a Dana Scully level. Just stop rioting. Yeah. Okay. L- listen to me. I am your white savior. Stop <laughs> rioting, people. She's like, no. <laughs> and 
And also, riders, why are you stealing a television when there's an ICBM coming for your city? You're not going to be able to enjoy that TV. You're not going to be able to get it home and even hook it into your pre-existing cable by the time you get exploded. Right. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, um, yeah. just, just from that ridiculousness, but... I'm a little bit better on this idea of the team needing a break than I think you were. Um, in part because it gets back to this idea of the darkness and Oliver causing problems for the team and like infecting them. Because Oliver, Diggle, and Felicity have all been kind of infected by the darkness within Oliver. Um, but at the same time, I struggle with the idea that Felicity is Oliver's beacon of hope and light and goodness in the world when this is a woman who told him that he had to commit murder to solve his problem this season. Yeah. And it's just like, no. I, I understand that the show wants to, like, acknowledge the shades of gray, but my immediate response is, Felicity doesn't get to be this symbol of brightness and hope in the world, for, especially for Oliver, when she's just like, you have to kill him. And then she kind of needles him about doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no, you don't... Felicity, you told him he had to do this. You don't get to be upset about this. Or even kind of passive-aggressive judgy about it. Um, the only other thing I'll say, and even though they sacrificed massive amounts of timeline continuity to do this, um, I like the fact that the idea of Oliver Queen as fighting in the light happened during the daytime, and yeah. then they had the fight happen at night mm -hmm. for the darkness, and that where you have to make your compromises. And I like the fact that they made that gesture to a visual representation of their big thematic idea. It was just too little too late for that idea to mean anything, and they hadn't articulated it in a way that felt meaningful. So I'm not exactly willing to get optimistic about season five because I've been burned by this mm -hmm. season because I was just like, yes, politics, narrow stuff. Yes, let's do it. And then they just went, ah, got you again. We've talked about gentrification and we got you again. And it's just like, I refuse to get invested in this idea of Oliver's mayor show because I know you're going to fuck me over again. <laughs> um, so I'm not even sure like what season five for this show looks like, even though, again, the flash should render the show non-existent. Um, so yeah, no, it was a big shrug of an episode. Um, and it was a very weird shrug of the episode. Um, the only positive thing I'll really have to say is that Neil McDonough had just way too much fun this season. <laughs> but yeah, it was just kind of a weird, weird season. It was better than season three, but that's a really low bar to clear. Yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't as angry, I guess, at it as I was at season yeah. three. But I, I, I kind of struggle to say it's better than season three because that like implies that there's good stuff. And it's it just... There, I guess a lack of ba as bad of things makes it better yes. than season three. I think I think that's the way to approach this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, the the only other thing I have uh, is that I feel like the show has forgotten that that like there's there's this idea that this darkness is inherent in Ali, but the thing is I remember the season four premiere when he's Mister Sunshine and Light baking cookies and Keisha Loren or whatever. Um, and completely content to stay in the suburbs, retired, living happily without any darkness. So this idea that there's a darkness inherent in who he is as a person and that has always been there and will always be there. While I applaud that notion of you don't need to change who you are. This is part of who you are and that's okay. Um, completely contradicts what they've done, what they've shown previously. And I wish they would get 
both you know Arrow and the Flash this season would fall a little bit out of love of this idea that having darkness um having damage tattooed on tattooed in his arm like just charles on the inside amy Schumer this week makes oliver more interesting or better or sexier or like makes improves him or uh, not even just as a like a person you should like but as a character um because his angst is like the least interesting thing about ollie yeah and I think that they're one of the other things I mentioned in my review is that he's steadily like coming. He wants to come out of it now. He wants mm-hmm. to come out of that darkness and he keeps being pulled back into it. But one of the things I'm like vaguely frustrated and not interested in watching is his three comrades now basically go through the same arc. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. them having to go through their own darkness. I'm into it for Diggle. Because I love Diggle, and I love the actor and everything. So I'm interested in watching that happen for Diggle. But I'm not interested in watching it happen to Thea, because Thea's darkness is just magic bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's not innate in her. It's from the Lazarus Pit. So it's not a part of her in even a way that, like, she, Oliver has gone through, like, trauma that, like, molded and honed this part of him in some way. Theo's was just like, I came out kind of crazy and we kind of forgot about it. Yeah. But I threatened a kid this week, so I'm kind of feeling bad about it. Mm-hmm. And, oh God, Kate, as much as I enjoy him as an actor, I need John Berriman to go away. I was about to say, I was going to ask you if you had, if you could wish any one thing for next season, what would it be? And mine was we opened season five with him dying and never coming back. Yeah, like actually dying. Or yeah, just Malcolm like Merlin something. is just like, Yeah. John Berriman's too busy shooting a new season of Torchwood and he can't be on the show anymore. Whatever it takes. Right. Or, or maybe his character in Rain is... Did his character in Rain die? I have no idea. I, I stopped know. watching Rain. But maybe he can just be a regular in Rain now and we won't have to deal with his non-character existence. Yeah. Yep. That I hate advocating... I hate advocating John Berriman being unemployed, but the character serves no purpose on this show anymore. And he it, hasn't for a while. It serves a very distinct purpose to be freaking annoying. And like for the show to be annoying, not the character, but for the show to be annoying and characters to do stupid things that don't make any sense and to have the same speeches at each other that they've done for years. I mean, we need to move on. We've talked about this a long time and I'm just right, going to get no, more frustrated. Talk to me about Game of Thrones. Sit down, shut the door. <laughs> yeah, Game of Thrones had had the door this week and everybody will have uh, strong feelings about it, I'm sure, because we get backstory for Hodor and we get uh, Hodor's death. Also, okay, here's what I need. And I tweeted about this earlier this week. Here's what I need from Game of Thrones. There's very little that I require from the show. But I 100% require Nymeria showing up and just eating all of the bad guys and just killing them. Nymeria is Arya's wolf, uh, Noel. And uh, she was like, Arya had to like scare her away so that she Thank would you. get executed. Thank you. I was about to ask who that was. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in season one, Arya like throws rocks at her until she leaves because Ned's going to execute her. Because of something, you know, anyway, and instead Sansa's wolf gets executed. It's a whole thing. But she's still alive. And so she needs to come back with a giant army of wolves that she has, like, raised within, like, amassed and kicks amassed because they keep killing the dire wolves. Uh, One of the dire wolves dies in in this episode for no reason. Like, I'm going to go attack the horde, the unending horde of bad guys. I'll totally hold them off for you guys for two seconds. 
Ah, anyways. Um, but uh, yes, I do care more about the wolves in the show than most of the characters. Uh, but I thought this what they did with Hodor. Um, the scene was incredibly effective, very well played by the actors. Um, the trouble is, it was a significant fridge scene for me. Do you know about fridge moments? Yeah, of course. Yes, of course, right? Yeah. So the so so while I was watching it, really effective. About thirty seconds after I finished watching the episode, I was like, "Wait, why was Bran in that scene anyways? Why did he warg back, like go back in time again after they were like, uh oh, people are coming, and they're like, I have to show you one more thing, and so they went back in time, Bran and and the uh, the the three eyed Raven, to a scene of nothing happening." And and then they needed help from Hodor, so Bran had to walk into Hodor at the same time, which created a, which is what created the Hodor, you know that we wait, know. Wait, hang on, time out, time out, time out. Yeah, did he quantum leap into Hodor? Is that what you're telling me? Basically, but he was also like he yeah he quantum leaps into Hodor, uh, in the present. But then because he's in back in time, it's also it's like connected. It's like a whole weird thing. But the trouble okay. is, there was no need for him to be back in time. Because it's not like there was anything significant or crucial happening in this moment he was observing. He okay. could have just popped back into his actual body and then and then controlled Hodor. And then he wouldn't have ruined Hodor's entire life by, you know, having been back in time and and controlling Hodor. Hodor gets horribly killed. And that connection... Uh, you know, destroys Hodor's brain in the past, his mind in the past, and he has an entire life taken away from him, basically. Not everything. He's still right. a character, but basically, right? Um, so the show did, didn't do a good, uh, didn't give any reason why that needed to happen, and it was hoping you wouldn't notice because of how well done the scene was. And sure. I didn't in the moment. Um, so kudos to that, but it was a little disappointing that um, they didn't hold up a bit more later I'm on. sorry. Yeah. Um, on the whole, though, it was a really strong episode, and um, they're they're balancing their characters well. Um, I <laughs> I've been enjoying the the Brienne and Tormund uh, gifs and memes I've been seeing. What is happening with that? Because I'm Nothing. seeing all it's, of these. Okay. It's just Tormund is like obsessed with this amazing giant woman, but right. it's all like in reaction shots in the backgrounds of scenes. He's just like. Like, just staring at her longingly. Kate is, Kate is making a wistful, longing face right now, listeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and Brienne just was, like, looking at him like he's... Shifty eyes are, like, uncomfortable and everything because he's just, like, salivating over her. Um, but it's but again, it's been, like, there's been, like, two lines from Brienne about I don't like that red-bearded one. And that, and the rest of it's all just been reaction shots in the back. It's been delightful. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot that I've been enjoying right now on Game of Thrones, but the big thing of this week, of course, is everything with Hodor. So uh, the the backstory we get so far so good. I like the overhead visuals of the tree and everything. They're they're doing a lot of really great stuff with that. But um, that's the, my main takeaway for Outlander. Faith, I I felt like I should mention it just because uh, they it's sort of like the Ramsey thing on on Game of Thrones. Like I don't need another reason to hate Blackjack Randall. And I feel like they could have had Jamie come in right before Blackjack was about to start raping a child, and that would be enough reason for him to duel. He wouldn't have to come in while he is mid-rape of a child uh, to, to spark that. Or, like, you know, Randall could have demanded the duel, or he will hurt the boy. There's another thing they could have done. Um, they didn't need to do that. 
And so they and they chose to do it. And I haven't spent a lot of time unpacking as to why I think they did, other than maybe it's just it's in the book. But I don't think that's a good enough reason to rape a child on television. Um, a character, obviously a fictional character. I mean, I'm but still well aware, but still, yeah. 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 Um, so I really I've got some problems with that. Uh the some of the stuff they, they do is really great. The stuff with um uh La Dame Blanche I thought was very well done. The the stuff with the loss of the, the baby I thought also was very effective. Um I think this episode was a little overhyped for me. Um because um I, I just I, I watched it like half a week after everybody else and I, and I just heard so much praise in you know, like though that week that I think my expectations for it were higher than is fair, but I thought I thought it was very good and certainly had some really uh, great visuals and some really um, striking and moments and I loved the Wizard of Oz reference so much. There was a there was a um, I'll miss you the most mm-hmm. uh, reference um, that was just delightful. I really liked that. But um, yeah, on the whole, Outlander still still very much um, an interesting season. But I really. I, it's like Outlander, stop with the rape, please stop. Like you've done, I feel like they've done just about everything they can do to show the trauma and the and like the lingering effects and everything. It's like they've broken a lot of tremendous ground on the way that violence and especially sexual violence is represented on television and giving it a lot more like the the long, especially the longer term effects and the reality of it and all of that. At this point, when they, they have, they've had two different characters raped this season that didn't need to be raped. I don't know why they decided, but let's keep doing this. Um, and it's it's getting to be uh, starting to make me question the motives on the show. And I don't want to do that after they did such a fantastic and just stomach churning job with it last season. Um, so that's why I'm at without under. Let's talk about happier things like Adventure Time. Five short tables. We get Fiona and Kate Gravels. What did you think? Um. Well, first of all, I immediately went, that's not Neil Patrick Harris playing Prince Gumball. <laughs> and I was a little upset. Uh, but beyond that, <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoyed the episode a lot. Um, I liked... I always... I almost always enjoy Fiona and Kate episodes. Uh, yeah. Because they're, they're just... They're so good. They're yeah. so good. Um... <laughs> So, I, but I enjoyed this idea of Ice King, like, remixing his fan fiction a little bit to, like, find, like, some new way of talking about his fan fiction. I thought mm-hmm. that was really kind of funny. And I also liked that his big fan fiction vault has a, has a Fiona, like, silhouette, head silhouette on the door. I just, I loved that little random detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed that Cake had a lot to do this this week, which she normally doesn't get a lot to do when there are Fiona Cake episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, she had like a lot to do in the first one, but not so much in the second one. Uh, so I was glad that she was really, really present this week. Yeah, it was just a lot of fun. I enjoyed the fire prince, like almost setting fire to the library, mm-hmm. all because he just needed to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the format worked really well. Yeah. To, to to spend time with um with Fiona and Cake because what I think the the danger with Fiona and Cake episodes is it it's always the there's always that context of it being fanfic so they tend right. to all at a certain point get back to a same general principle by the end of the episode of of and then the Ice King you know you know like then they're like best friends of the Ice King and it, it works every time and I always enjoy it but 
taking the approach of these five mini stories, let us spend a little time with these different characters and really explore the the Fiona and Cake world. Um, yeah. And I, I thought I thought it just it was a it was a nice and especially because I wasn't expect I didn't know that it was a Fiona and Cake episode. Yeah, um, I assumed it was you know a Grables kind of thing. So I just thought it was a nice way to play to change up both the Fiona and Cake thing and the Grables thing, which I think both ideas were starting to get a little warm so this was a nice way to keep things fresh right uh grables especially for me and i think we mentioned this last time there was a grables episode is that i'm not a big fan of grables episodes Mm -hmm. um like with like two exceptions but Mm -hmm. for the most part i always find them just kind of tedious yeah um even though one of them has really stellar animation where um they're like flying through the air and that sequence is just mind-blowingly well animated Mm -hmm. but as a whole i've never really responded to them um so this was like you said a really nice kind of riff but also because i love meta hijinks i love the fact that ice queen has her own oh yeah french fan fiction about um what were their names jakes and um ice president yeah and i forget what finn's french name was but it's like existential fan fiction Mm -hmm. and i'm just like this is so good and i now I'm just like, I want an episode in that world, and then I just want to keep going down that rabbit hole of mm-hmm. fanfiction within fanfiction within fanfiction. Yeah. And just, we end up, like, in our world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or something, but... Uh, yeah. It was a lot of fun, um, and it was also kind of, like, a nice break as well. Yeah. From the really good, but... From the really good, uh, Finn... Uh, maturity stuff that we've been getting very consistently so far this season. So this was a really nice kind of breather and a really cute kind of breather episode. And I liked uh, Butterscotch Butler. <laughs> yeah. Was really funny as well. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. Well, I think that note of the maturity is a great way to take us over to our last show of the Weekend Show, and that's Steven Universe, um, Barn Mates. And I just, this episode delivered so much on, on the stuff we had talked about last week. And yes. I love that they didn't just go hijinky with it and that they stayed absolutely uh, in keeping with where we were with the characters last in the last episode. And having Steven, you know, have to get a little bit, like, again, inching towards maturity, like like we've seen on both uh, Steam Universe and Adventure Time. I just, I really enjoyed this episode. What did you think? Well, I, I tweeted this out and it only got, like, one favorite and it made me really depressed. <laughs> um, and I normally don't get depressed by my tweets not getting favorites or anything because it's not something I'm invested in. But, Kate, if I were still, if I had been, if Steven Universe had been on while I was using LiveJournal, all my icons would have been of Lapis. Mm-hmm. I kid you not. Um, <laughs> I, I just really like this character a whole lot, like I said last week. And... I continuation like such a direct continuation of how Lapis was feeling when she saw that Peridot was here was just really really great and how very resistant to the idea that Peridot was an okay force for her because Peridot's not an okay force for her Peridot like held this held Lapis captive and Lapis is very tired of being held captive everyone she's not happy about this <laughs> So, I, but I also enjoyed the fact that Peridot kept trying to make it okay and, like, apologize in a way and, like, show Lapis that she was maybe not necessarily sorry, but that she was willing to, like, that she had, that she had changed, which I thought was, like, a big thing. And just, like, 
Kate, when she gives Lapis the tape recorder, I just kind of like got a little misty because that tape, rec- the, the episode with the tape recorder from last season was just really, really great. And it's such a bi- it had become such a big part of Peridot's character. So for her to give this to Lapis as a way of saying, this is what got me through this, in addition to a teen sitcom. And I loved the throwaway joke about season five being the worst. <laughs> um, that was just so funny. But the tape recorder as this thing that could help Lapis, and because it helped Peridot, I thought it was just really big and a really bold gesture. And... I like that the show just decided that's not enough. And she's like crushed it. And I just, I was really impressed that they just did that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I really, really enjoyed what they did with Barton Mates a whole, whole lot. What about you? What about you? No, I absolutely agree. And because with Peridot, she's, she's trying to help. Yes. And she doesn't know how, but she's trying different ways. Yeah. And, and Steven also doesn't understand. He's trying to, but he doesn't really, you know, he doesn't have the same, he has a lot more awareness than Peridot does, but neither one of them had, had, you know, stopped to think, oh yeah, she was stuck under the ocean. She probably doesn't want a pool. Um, and, and so, but, and I like the way that, that both of them responded to each like rebuffment, uh, you know, rebuffing yeah. of, of, uh, the, the well wishes. Um, but, and I also appreciate like that Lapis, you know, just as Peridot, doesn't really understand where, where Lapis is coming from. She's trying, but she doesn't necessarily. Lapis, I think, also doesn't understand just how much that tape recorder means. Right. She has no out. idea. Yeah. yeah. So, like, she when she crushed it, I don't think she would have crushed it if she had understood just how yeah. much emotional weight that, that carried for Peridot. And, um, and so I, I like that they both, like, I think we're very much with Lapis in this episode, but I think I like that they don't make her just completely... They, that they give that you know she she doesn't need to 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 be friends and and there's no sense of like she's wrong for her response but yeah. they also let her not quite react in the best way yeah and I, and I thought I thought that that worked really well and the way that they end things with um Peridot so happy it's like oh you didn't let me get killed yay progress um I thought it was was really nice so um yeah, it was just, again, it was very, I just keep going back to the term mature. I thought it was so mature. And the kind of, uh, you know, this this is a, a situation that, are, that is not going to be fixed anytime soon. But looks like um, action's about to intervene. So With the rubies. I know, right? Oh, I'm so excited about this, Kate. Yeah. So excited. But yeah, so I, again, I really am impressed with the kind of storytelling that they're doing over at Steven Universe. Yeah, me too, me too. Yeah. Well, what was your week in genre? The Flash finale. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's it's Steven Universe and Bardmates. Uh, for all the reasons we just enumerated, it was a very mature and very consistent um, approach to telling this story. And I'm very much eager to see your learn your reaction to next week's episode since I've already kind of seen some of it. Ah. Um, so, but it's, it's a very fun episode. I will say that. Um, so I'm eager to see that. Uh, so what about you? What won your week, uh, this week in genre? I think I got to give it to Game of Thrones. So despite any issues, you know, I have a fridge moments, uh, still got to give it to Game of Thrones this week. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama.
This week in drama, we're going to talk about the Night Manager finale, episode six, uh, and then the Path finale, the Miracle, as well as probably a little bit about the episode the week before. Uh, then I'll talk briefly about the Americans, Dinner for Seven, and we'll round things out with a three-episode helping a person of interest, A More Perfect Union, a QSO, and Reassortment. Uh, first up, though, we, the Night Manager Heads finale, how did they stick the landing? What did you think? Um... I, I enjoyed uh, episode six a bit, a good bit, um, mainly on a performance level. Again, I think that in places where I wasn't totally jiving on the show or I was kind of like losing interest, because um, sometimes the tension for me just kind of felt slack a little bit, which I was surprised by um, after we, after um, Tom Hiddleston's character had fully infiltrated uh, Roper's organization. Uh, the tension just kind of went slack, especially after Corky disappeared. It was just like, well, well, what's what's the threat here of him being found out? And it all just kind of happened this week. And I just, it was too much, like, we're going to find out this week type of stuff. And I kind of struggled with that. But the performances carried it through. Like, um, everything that Hugh Laurie was doing at the our arms deal was just fantastic. And... His facial expressions as he watched, like, all those trucks blow up and realizing just how badly he had been screwed over, um, or thought he, he felt like he had been screwed over, was just really, really good work from Lori. And, yeah, it was just, it was good, and I enjoyed a lot of it, but I just, the only other big part that I enjoyed was Roper finally meeting um, Olivia Coleman's character and her just enjoying like this kind of moment of winning and him just being super cocky that he was just going to get out of jail immediately and yeah it was just I was I don't want to say underwhelmed but I wasn't I think I as you were getting into it I was like steadily like losing interest in it for some reason and I can't totally put my finger on what was doing it apart from the fact that I felt like I had just lost like tension somehow at okay. some point point. and yeah but it was still really good um I just wasn't as deeply invested as I was like in the first half huh okay uh, so, yeah which is very weird uh so how how are you feeling about this uh finale I feel like I feel like whelmed is a good yeah I think that's okay. Way to describe yeah. the finale. Because um, there are certain things that I actually, I really, really enjoyed. For me, this finale is all about Olivia Coleman, uh, who's just badass throughout. And um, I thought that that, the way that things come to a head, like having uh, Hiddleston and Coleman meet back up face to face, they, in saving that, really any conversation at all between the two of them, again, for this finale worked really well. Um, the suspense of her inside the room again worked really well but then like you said there are certain elements that just we didn't necessarily need so why do they bring back the friend so that we can know that he's suspicious of her but when we already know that he Laurie's suspicious of uh the the girlfriend character of, of um what's her name like jeb or yeah jeb yeah um so like I, we didn't need that so and that just that's one of those things that just felt like oh it's in the book so it's here um yeah, so on the whole, I think the, it, it came together well. It paid off what it had set up. Um, it yeah. didn't um, blow my mind. And I was actually very, but I was very pleased they didn't kill the girlfriend, which I thought that they probably would. So that was a nice surprise. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it, it delivered on what it needed. 
Um, and the performances were good and it was a satisfying conclusion, um, but it didn't, it wasn't like rising action all the way to the end. I would say for me, the best episode was episode five, um, probably. And then it came back down for me. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, and Weldon's good. I, I'm sounding more negative about it than I was feeling, but I think part of it was I'm trying to figure out where I like started to slack on the show a little mm-hmm. bit. And I'm still not entirely sure. I really think that Corky's, the loss of Corky is like an antagonist. Uh, just undercut a lot of a lot of the tension for me. Um, even though like Roper wasn't listening to Corky at all, but it just it I don't know like I just lost it lost a little bit of energy for me. Um, but I I I do agree that like Olivia Coleman is like if anyone should get an Emmy mm-hmm. for this show, it's her because she's fantastic. And also, if anyone has a chance of winning an Emmy for this show. It's her because I mean, provided she nominates herself strategically and like best supporting, supporting. actress. Yes. Right. She could get supporting. <laughs> right. Um, if she nominates herself for lead actress in a miniseries, uh, she's doomed. She's going to get OJ. Uh, yeah. No, she's, people versus OJ. I should say. Yeah. She's going to, yeah. Don't say she's going to get OJ. That's bad. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, not what I meant. Yeah. Not, not what Kate meant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she, she's going to lose to um, Sarah Paulson and, also, rightfully so, because there mm-hmm. hasn't been a better performance than Sarah Paulson's uh, yet so far. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still really glad I watched The Night Manager and I enjoyed it. But it just ended up kind of whelmed. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just kind of ended up whelmed. Fair enough. Well, what about the path? How did you think they stuck the landing with the miracle? Um. Okay, so... I was thinking about this, like, I just watched the finale and finished it ten minutes before we sat down to record. And I was doing dishes right before we recorded, like, right after, and I was thinking about it. And I always knew that, um, what's his name, was going to, like, wake up. Doc, yeah. Was going to wake up. And by the, in the finale. Like, I, I knew it. And the thing with it is, is, like, I was thinking about this in like terms of surprise because we put a we put a lot of emphasis and value on surprise. It's why we're it's why we don't like spoilers because they take away surprise. And surprise is a very uh, easy way for us to be thrilled. And I think that there's I think that we overvalue surprise in a lot of ways and we don't appreciate necessarily what shows do to do things that we expect them to do. So to that end, stuff in the miracle with um, Eddie seeing the snake and the dead bird, well, frankly, it kind of just came out of nowhere for me. And I was kind of flummoxed by why it was happening. And maybe as someone who like had to like think much more deeply about the show than I have had to, and I admit that I haven't thought super deeply about the show is probably as much as it warrants but i enjoyed how this how the episode led up to eddie finding that empty bed and coming face to face with an awake doc because of the visions he was having and i appreciated that escalation of things so that that this thing that i knew was going to happen based on just being a savvy viewer of television and a consumer of narrative that I liked how it set that up in a way that felt meaningful for Eddie as this guy who's in a crisis mode 
and he comes to this he comes to the founder of this movement that he he's basically disavowed and it's just like oh maybe not so much with that idea and now it's him and maybe the founder versus cal and cal versus sarah and i'm really excited about the prospect of what season two looks like in episodes one and two and i'm very eager for the second season of this show so tell me what you thought because i didn't have time to read your review so i don't i don't i don't know about your reception to this week's episode or last week's episode because i didn't watch last week's episode until today either Mm -hmm. uh so tell me how you felt about the finale and just all of what happened in the finale i had not considered that they would have doc wake up in the finale um, okay. So that was a surprise to me. But the the last moment, and I specifically mentioned this in my review at the AV Club, but the last moment of the episode did not land for me because it felt like the last moment of season one of Lost, where we've been spending all of this, there's all this build up to, oh, the hatch, the hatch, what could it be? It's like, oh, we're finally bringing, we're finally going to look into the hatch. And the camera does not do that. It instead shows them reacting to the hatch. And you're like, son of a beast, and you're going to make me, make me wait all through the summer hiatus before you actually tell me this thing that you've been promising you're going to tell me. That's really irritating. Um, so I had the same kind of reaction to Doc just being there. I was like, this mm-hmm. doesn't actually tell me anything. Because yeah. we don't know, is that actually Doc? Or is that a hallucination? Or another vision, which is yeah. a thought I had. In like, I thought, I, I considered the idea that it was a vision as well. Absolutely. Even if he had like said anything, that would have told yeah. us it would have been different than the snake. And it would have been different than the bird. Um, so uh, that it was actually, I mean, it, yes, it was effective. But it was nowhere near as effective as I think it was supposed to be. Or it may have been for other people. Um, sure. But I really like the stuff we got with Eddie in this episode uh the the visions i loved that they had the specific dead bird and dead bird so it's like the exact same placement it's like there's no way he could have known that you know like snake thing could have been in his own mind could have been like his subconscious working stuff out and he's going nuts you know he's, he's like losing his grip on 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 reality and he saw the dead snake like when he was in during his like little peyote sojourn right yeah the ayahuasca vision that he has in the premiere he sees that snake on alive and on a a dying doc doc. yes yeah um so there's already like a through line there which actually i think was really effective man the shot of the snake going over the end the edge of the bed yeah let's not talk about that kate oh my god no that was the worst part of all of it not the hiss no. <laughs> oh god just the stomach muscles oh god creepy creepy um so i actually thought that was the best part of the finale that was really good i like the stuff we got with sarah kind of figuring out the stuff with cal um yeah. and investigating i thought that worked really well um but i kind of was nonplussed by pretty much everything else because the only characters yeah. that are really doing anything and, and discovering anything changing any in any way are eddie and sarah everybody yes. else is just kind of like continuing on from what they were doing in the previous episode and that you know like in a finale i want characters building to something and building to change so we like after all this time we spent with hawk we get like no time with him at all the stuff we do get with him and eddie is really lovely but we get almost no time with hawk um and the stuff with summer and and hawk is great too but um the stuff we get with um allison doesn't mean anything to me no it doesn't and that was it was really like your husband wrote this journal which implies that he might have 
like he might not have been killed, but it didn't say that anything that would make you think he would kill himself because he wants to stay alive so he can get on the ladder. So he might have, there might have been an accident, but he wouldn't have intentionally said like, I'm going to go kill myself because I don't want to be alive. That's not anything like what the journal said. And yet that's what the response she apparently had to it. So that was kind of frustrating. Um, the stuff with, with Abe was really great, but they, they, they hesitate from going, like from taking that to the next thing. So it's like, we, we see this, um, moment of of relief and he's has his hands like almost in prayer but we don't connect that to Myers and we don't connect that to Eddie we don't like the viewer can do that but Abe doesn't and so it's like okay but why did I spend this time if he's not going to have some sort of a connection or like look over meaningfully at the ladder or something to like I felt like they just kind of hesitated with that as well um so and, and in with cal it's again it's he, in the previous episode he said he says he's already made his plan and he he executes it in this episode we don't see any change the character we do see some change with is mary and i didn't buy it for a moment oh yeah i i i i need mary to go away like the veil thing not at all yeah it's it's i i i've really struggled with mary all season Mm-hmm. For just a variety of reasons, but I'm. It's just. She's not as. Her trauma is, isn't being depicted in an interesting enough way, for me to like feel really invested in this, this very broken and this very confused young woman, and who's just being like shifted around a lot, and I'm struggling with them just constantly doing that and nothing changing for her mm-hmm. and i mean it's been 10 it's been it was 10 episodes of that and that the other big problem i have with it is is that the reason she's here for me was so that sarah could get that last little puzzle piece yeah from her father i mean that that's that's the reason she's here and i I was really frustrated by that, and I'm not entirely sure what her presence told us about Cal, because I think she's very much there to tell us about Cal, that we kind of couldn't just infer from his interactions with Sarah, or (laughs) his interactions by himself. See, I've been much more on board with Mary than it sounds like you have this season, and uh, watching, like, her as she, like, the 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 choices and the moves she's been making throughout the season I've actually been really engaged with uh, just because the performer I think she's really good um, and and watching her not like if she's drawn towards Cal she's got this abusive past which he's absolutely preying upon and yes. and then watching her kind of wrest herself from that and from him a bit as she like he's the reason she goes over to Sean but then. Sean treats her well and respects her and like they build this sort of thing like I was actually really interested in that progression then in this finale having that all backpedal with no build up at all like I never got any sense that she the only like motivation she's given is that brief interaction with Sean's mom but her response is easily read as just reacting empathetically to the grief of Karen's uh, of Karen right of of Sean's mom and And so I don't get any sense that she's still attracted to Cal um, and she's still drawn to him. And she can't like she because the show's done that really well with Sarah and Cal and Eddie. Like they've shown the complicated dynamics there really well. Um, and they haven't done that with Mary in, in the past couple of episodes. We don't see like her kind of still glancing over at Cal and, 
you know, feeling drawn towards him at, at all. And so maybe she's just like sabotaging herself because she doesn't know how to be happy, which is very sure. possible. Which but, I think is what they're trying to tell us. Yeah, but then that's not what she, then is she just saying what Kale wants to hear from her about how, you know, she's still drawn to him and she knows him and every, like, I don't know. And then with the veil and everything, too, like it, that for me was a step too far. And then later they have her in the 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 bed sheet that is absolutely held to be to look like a strapless wedding gown um with the veil imagery earlier and she's got this yeah. like inscrutable look of like ah i but i'm yours so, you know or you're mine or something like that like i i i really had trouble with mary in this episode and that i'm not interested in re- repeating this because they basically they, they take so many of these characters to to have them parallel where they're at in the premiere in, in interesting ways is what they're going for. So like in the previous episode, Sarah, like Addie says to Sarah, I, um, I absolutely believe in what, in helping people and what the good work that we do and all this great, you know, these wonderful things we can accomplish, but yeah. all the, the, you know, everything else is bullshit. And Sarah's like, that's everything that I believe. And then in this finale, Eddie is experiencing things that, or making him believe something and Sarah's being disillusioned. So everything that she had bought into from Cal, all of this new stuff about the, the movement and about um, this new revelation. And, you know, and I would imagine she must know that he's been sick and dying. Doc has been sick and dying for a long time. So Cal's been lying to her for years. Yes. Um, so she's like, she knows now that all of this stuff that she's bought into is bullshit, but she's staying because she wants to help the movement and like counteract Cal. And she can't, if she if she just leaked now, like told everybody now that he wrote the books, they they all love him so much they would be like, oh, it's okay, you're inspired by the light and you're, right. you're we're cool with it. So like I like you know so like so she's staying to try to help people and do good while being disillusioned at what the the meaning of everything. So like they counterpoint those those two characters really well. But with with Callan with Mary with that dynamic, it feels like they just have undone any progress that the season gave to to that character, to Mary. And it's really uninteresting. It also, like, just kind of sets up Sean to be, like, Patsy guy again. And I just, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, neither am I. And that's why I've just been consistently frustrated. And generally, whenever Mary shows up, I'm just kind of like, oh, I'm going to do something else right now, because I don't care. Ugh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this season? Um... No, just that I'm, I remember like people being very lukewarm. And then I also remember folks who had been able to basically watch the entire season really, really quickly because Hulu um, made screeners available uh, that I, I think it was Jane Pony Wazak over at New York Times was basically just like, I can't wait to see season two of the show because season one's like a really good launching point for season two. And so I kind of agree, but I've, I've enjoyed this show a lot. Um, I don't think I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I was anticipating enjoying it, which has been kind of disappointing. Um, but I still really enjoyed it. And I remember thinking, gosh, and yeah, in the, the finale that if I was ever in a spot where I was able and interested in joining something like Myerism, I would totally get sucked in by Hugh Dancy. <laughs> because how could you not? Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I still really enjoyed it, but I think that there's, it's way more likely that this show is either going to, it, I think the second season is going to be the live or die of this, for this show in a lot of ways. 
and I'm really curious to see how it what it ends up doing. Uh, mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I think that um, the season came out. I think really strong. I think it's a very good first f- freshman season of a show, and I think yes. that the, the the potential to get things to get the show wrong is really high so I think they actually did a really good job with that took a few episodes for me to really for for me to feel that they found the characters the central trio but once they did I thought it's actually been really solid and really really well done and not to mention some really gorgeous cinematography and and direction and you know how much I love the music the scoring on the season also it's been so great to watch Michelle Monaghan play a character Yes, isn't that amazing? Oh, like, she's I mean, so good. She's so good. Like, I'm watching Kiss Kiss Bang Bang tomorrow f- with a friend, and that's, like, everyone's first exposure to her for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, like, it's so refreshing to see her get to play a character after and- the way she's just kind of been... She's yeah. just picked and been given, like, bizarre, terrible roles for the most part. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been really nice that they a show found her, and she found a show that got her and worked with her and this brings me to like one last question i have for you as someone Mm -hmm. who has consistently reviewed the show um and it's something that comes up within the in uh, episode nine uh which did we settle on a name for episode nine uh well the screener title is a room of one's own because that's Uh, what it says on hulu too but what is it actually imdb says a room with a view I think okay. oh, it's a room of one's own because they specifically reference. Right, he says it. In, he says it in the episode. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, what do you think about? And I don't have an answer for this, so I'm pulling kind of a Sean Coletti here. Um, <laughs> in that I'm asking a question, but I don't have an answer. Um, what do you think about how Eddie and Sarah use sex with one another? I think it's. I think the show's representations and view of uh, representation of sex has actually been really interesting and, on the whole, really well done. Yes. Um, I th- I don't have a read on what to me remains a really problematic sex scene from episode was it three, uh, where which had where two, she says no, she says no, and it just for me the scene had a very strong vibe of yeah, but no, it doesn't really mean no. And um, and that was the problem I had with it. I don't have any problem with, you know, if characters are engaging in rough play and that's, you know, like they have a they they've like had their discussions. They know they've planned out what they're doing. They're they're consenting, you know, like that's fine. That's all as long as everybody's consenting and they got their safe word set up, you know, have fun. Dumny dumny. <laughs> Go with God. Um, but um, I. That scene the, the felt a little, you know, she wasn't into it, but then he just kept going after she said no, and she got into it. I, so that was problematic for me. But other than that, I think the show's really represented their de- progression of their relationship and where they're at through how they interact with each other physically, um, j- both in their closeness, both in just regular contact as well as sexual contact. And so the way that their reunion is shown in the premiere uh, versus what we get, um, you know, that rough sex that I think we're supposed to think is consensual in episode three um, to all the way to episode nine, where, I mean, it's very obvious. It's like a little heavy handed that they had the broken glass on the floor next to them as they're having sex. Um, but I, th- I thought it was really well shot, really well, um, really well done. And um, I th- like, again, the way that these two communicate like where they're at and how they're feeling about themselves and each other 
in in the way that they have sex, I think is a really great way to show instead of tell. Yes. And and so actually I really applaud the show's uh, use of of that as a indicator of this of this dynamic and of this relationship and of a, a couple where sex is an important part of their relationship and i think i think that's nice to see that uh on television in a way that is that is sexual but not um um leery like, yeah what how do you feel about it well i i remember thinking like especially in the finale and this is i'm not the finale but in episode nine and this is what like triggered me to like remember to ask you uh, since it was the last time that they had sex within the season, um, was how they, for me, that and you talked about like how they use, they communicate with one another through physical contact and this sort of thing, and I read it very much in terms of they kind of end up using sex to avoid talking to one another sometimes, mm-hmm. and I, I I don't necessarily agree with what I just said. It's just like based on very foggy memories of early in the season and then them having sex within episode nine because they're in very much not in a good place but there's still something there but they can't verbalize it Mm -hmm. and so that i think that's what it is is like they can't better than not necessarily being being able to communicate, not wanting to communicate or avoid communicating, they're not able to verbalize certain things. And instead they express their desire to be okay with one another through sex. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it works in season, in the early part of the season, but doesn't work in episode nine. Mm-hmm. I really loved the way that scene was shot. I loved the score for that scene as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're so. I just think it's really telling. Cause like, like you said, they're they're communicating to each other and to us in that moment. That is like because they're they're having some pretty intense fights. Yes, but they clearly still like the way that like leading up to the sex scene, the way that like he comes behind me and, and she like is cl- like clinging on to him for dear right. life. They're both are trying to fight so hard for this relationship and it's showing how much they mean to each other, how much they still desperately love each other. But this other stuff is in the, is getting in the way and neither one of them is able to let go of that other stuff and just, you know, submit and give up on, on these things that they feel. Um, and that's why I think have showing that connection between the two of them when they're, it's like, this is sad. Like I wish things were better, but, and I still care about you so much, but, things are so super fucked up but we're gonna at least have a moment of solace sex that's what i think that that scene is sure and so to have that i think is crucial when you're gonna end the episode the way that they do mm-hmm. and with that with that glare and that intense anger between the two of them i think it's so important to show the the that's the moment that their relationship breaks yeah. Uh, the, the end there and so I think it's so important to emphasize how important the connection they have still is to them even while they're fighting with that sex scene I'm nodding I'm sorry you can't see me right I can't now, but I'm <laughs> nodding in agreement yeah. Um, yeah. with what you just said yeah yeah it's been a very interesting first season and uh, we'll see yeah, I agree with you season two could absolutely take it to a whole nother level um, or it could just kind of maintain as a show that's very interesting and well executed, but doesn't always click. Uh, right. So I, I hope that everything kind of really comes together for an even better season two. Uh, 
Uh, but we should move on because we're going yes. super long this week. Um, I'm just going to mention the Americans because they had one of the most tense dinner sequences one can have when you've got a family of spies, except one of the kids doesn't know they're spies, uh, with the the pastor and the pastor's wife who who know they're spies. Uh, but uh, are you know, and and one of them just had threatened the family with revealing it because they thought the family was trying to like kill the husband, but he wasn't involved. But they didn't, you know, like drama. And then the FBI agent next door comes over for dinner. <laughs> it's like, yeah, our neighbor happens to be in the FBI. Just like you know, random chance. He moved here after we did. Yeah, we're playing him, but he doesn't. You know, like we don't need to talk about that because they're trying to pretend that they're like they don't do any actual spy. Like they don't hurt anyone. It's like the dynamics at a dinner table were just delightful <laughs> it was super fun uh, I also like uh the way that they like the the they break your heart with what happens with um uh Elizabeth's you know family that she's been sort of playing her her good friend that she had developed over the course of the season and her breaking that um because the the center or the her her handlers demand it um was appropriately difficult and tough so it's uh it's been an interesting uh, like I keep seeing the praise of the show the Americans is great uh, hopefully you're going to be gone the week that the Americans finale airs so I'm going to try my best to have a guest on so we can just like <laughs> dive super deep with the Americans but um, I hope I hope you find someone for that fingers crossed fingers crossed another strong episode uh, let's round things out here though with person of interest a more perfect union QSO and reassortment um, I, I think a lot of people were really on board with the, these three episodes really loved them for me it were they were fine yeah. And except for all the stuff with Shaw, which was awesome. That's right. where I'm at. Uh, what did you think about Person of Interest? Um, I really enjoyed A More Perfect Union and QSO. Um, but during reassortment, I was just like, oh, I don't care about an outbreak situation. I just want to hang out in South Africa mm-hmm. with Shaw breaking out of a prison. It's yeah. all I care about in this episode. Everything else can go away. I just want Shaw to break out of prison. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Just... Give me that episode, and I'm good. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I enjoyed More Perfect Union because it was just a very loose and kind of silly episode of the show. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, any episode where you're going to have Michael Emerson sing in an Irish accent, and let alone sing Can't Stop Me Now. <laughs> um, no, we're is, not going to take it. Oh, we're not going to take it. Right. We're not going to take it. That's what he sings. And it's just so weird and but i like the melancholy of them just sitting at the that that wedding table at the end of the episode of them just looking and watching these really perfect lives these lives that a they're not allowed to have basically and b these lives that are not going to exist if they don't stop samaritan mm-hmm. and i really enjoy just the the sheer melancholy of that but then we also got amy acker on a horse and that was pretty great yeah, rooting a horse is is pretty awesome. Um, the the thing for me with the with that episode is, um, and and really the all three of these, the stuff that isn't Shaw, mm-hmm. it just it it's they they I know they can do better. I know they can do better than like a better version of the A More Perfect Union episode than the one they gave us, where they're very ham fistedly showing the photographer over yeah. and over and over. Like there's a like this this creative team and certainly the this cast is capable of a more finessed, more engaging and better version of this episode. Not that this one is terrible by any stretch of the imagination. It's fine. 
and there are moments that are really great and really fun. Um, the we're not going to take it did not work for me at all. Like the concept of him, like him singing and him doing an unexpected song. Absolutely. I like, why would that guy choose that song? I didn't like yeah. if he, the person no, he's totally pretending fair. to be would like, I'm glad they didn't do Danny boy. Cause I know we were all probably expecting Danny boy. So that was, uh, nice. I was totally expecting Danny boy. Yeah. yeah. But I just kept waiting for like the actual song to come in for a fight scene or something. And it didn't, it was just very odd to me, but that was, that was sort of my, my takeaway with all, all three of these episodes where it's like, I'm not invested enough. And I know I have, I'm not as big a fan of the show as a lot of other people are, but I still feel like this cast and, and some of these writers can make a better version of these. So it was a little, I think it was a little disappointing for me. And some of that, I think is my own fault for, you know, hearing a lot of praise about these three episodes Mm -hmm. um, and not like, filtering it out you know before i started watching um but again like we've both said the stuff with shaw is really great and i look forward to when she finally uh gets i I expect uh, one spectacular badass fight scene that shaw walks into the middle of and shaw and root are kicking all the ass and it's awesome that's gonna be super satisfying when it happens but um that's where i'm at with person of interest do you have any uh, other thoughts about these episodes uh no no i'm good <laughs> okay fair enough well what wins your week in drama um i'll give it to qso from person of interest specifically um since it was a very heavy root episode uh with a lot of like little fun things for her to do uh which i enjoyed and i enjoyed um scott Aidist Aidist adds it um yeah from uh 30 rock and various other things coming on um i thought he did a really nice job mm-hmm. and yeah, it was just a nice, fun episode, and there was still some decent Shaw stuff, even though the contrivance of the radio in the hospital room was a little much, especially after we found out it was in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure how that worked exactly, um, but I'm, I am I may have missed a Samaritan, step. don't ask questions. <laughs> right. No, I, I'm sure I missed a step, uh, but I, enjo- I still enjoyed QSO a lot of the drama I watched this week. Uh, what about you? What did you enjoy? Oh, the Americans. It's definitely yeah. the Americans. Like, I love, I get the, the Path Vanilla gave a solid B plus. Uh, Night Manager was, was, again, a very solid, good, you know, th- good final episode for them. But uh, definitely for me, it's the Americans dinner for seven. So that wraps up our week in drama and our week in TV. A few show notes here at the end of the podcast. You can find a post for this episode up at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV and all of these finales, the good, the bad, and the flash. Um, I've, we're, I expect so many, like, angry like, I, we spent so much of the time just kind of railing on it and not elucidating why, but I, I welcome your hate comments, uh, Flash fans. <laughs> That's the Televerse.org. Uh, as long as there's no ad hominem, we're good. Uh, you can also email the Televerse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, where you can like the page and start up a conversation. You can also find us on iTunes, where we have an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. You can rate it and review us there. We would appreciate it very much. You can also find us in Stitcher, where you can rate and review us. And you can find us on Google Play Music. If there's somewhere else you want the podcast to be, let me know, and I will try to make it happen. Um, and the, of course, you can find both of us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. 
And you can also find Noel's writing archive of, of Noel's writing for the past season. If you want to revisit Flash, Arrow, and all these other shows that you've been covering, Noel, that's at TV.com. Uh, yep. And for me, you can find my reviews of Veep uh, still going uh, over at the AV Club. And if you want to revisit my thoughts on the, the path, particularly this, if you have thoughts on the score, please go over to the path uh, comments at the AV Club and, and leave your thoughts there because uh, I, I've been going into I've like so many hundreds of words deleted every week, Noel, like a thousand words of, of comments and thoughts about the score in my notes boiled down to I only let myself have like 300 words in the review. Um, and it's so hard, but it's um, yeah, I would love anybody's thoughts over there at the AV Club. So now we're going to take a break and come back with Gwen Inat from the AV Club to talk about the love boat. What? Good times. We'll be right back after this. Exciting and new Come aboard We're expecting you And love Life's sweetest reward Let it flow It floats back to you We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Calls, going to join us ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are talking about a show I had, I think we all know, we all know this song, this show because of its theme song, um, but I had never watched any of it, so I'm super excited to talk about it. And that's The Love Boat. And joining us to help us uh, set set sail, I should say, with this, I, there's going to be so many puns, guys. Just, <laughs> like, just know that going into the segment. Um, from the AV Club, one of the, the copy editors over there, as well as, of course, a contributor, Gwen Inat. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So The Love Boat, what made you want to talk about this show? It was like one of the, we were, we were hanging out, we were talking about different shows, and it was one of the first ones that you went to. What makes The Love Boat stick in your memory? Uh, I think because it was just such a formative show for me. There's a certain generation of kids like myself who spent, you know, their grade school Saturday nights in front of the TV watching ABC with the love boat at eight o'clock, followed by Fantasy Island at nine o'clock. That's just everything we did. And so now that show is just, it's just like comfort food for me. And as I got older and I can appreciate it from like different viewpoints, all the cameos, all the guest stars, all the stupid plots. Uh, but it's so familiar, and that's what—that's why people kept tuning in. You know, they knew that. You know, the show is framed. It's your cruise director, America. It's your doctor, your bartender, 
come on a board and uh, there's something about it that's really addictive to me. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, because like I said earlier, everybody knows the Love Boat theme song and, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, the setup for it, right? Which is, it's a cruise, cruise ship and people are searching for love. I mean, it's all there in the title, really. It's really, they keep it straightforward for you. But, um, you know, it's one of those things that I think we're all culturally aware of, but I had never sat down and actually watched an episode. And when I did, there were a few things. I, it was a very interesting viewing experience for me because there's nothing like this kind of storytelling on TV right now at all. It was such a very different viewing experience. And it's it's kind of, I mean, granted, it's it's pretty schlocky, um, <laughs> basically because it was created by Aaron Spelling, king of schlock, was known as the schlock merchant back in the 70s uh, for ABC. At one point, he had like seven hours of programming. I did this huge article on Love Boat, Eric Adams, um, TV editor, when I got hired by the AV Club full-time last year. I just started in January, and he's like, do you want to write about Love Boat for Love Week, you know, for Valentine's Week? And I'm like, I've been waiting my entire life for somebody to ask me to write 2,000 words about the Love Boat because this is encyclopedic knowledge that I possess that I would do nothing with anywhere else but the AV Club, my plug for the AV Club. So I did some research. I think I, I bought some old uh, TV guides on eBay and just finding out more about Aaron Spelling, you know, the guy just knew what people wanted to watch on TV. It's kind of amazing. And for Love Boat, he's like, yeah, not everybody can go on a cruise ship. So let's make them feel like they're going on a cruise every week. And let's tap into, you know, the nostalgia factor for the old people who are home on Saturday night. So we'll get Gene Kelly and Ethel Merman and Ginger Rogers and all these stars from like the golden age of Hollywood. And then for the kids, like I was, I can't even tell you how excited I was as a kid when Scott Bayo and Christine McNichol were on an early episode as like a cute, you know, 12 year old dating couple. I thought my head was going to explode. Um, I was, I was so excited. And this is, you know, I know it's hard to picture. This is in a pre day before pre streaming, pre recording, you know, there wasn't anything I do, but just like sit there and watch it and remember brand it into my memory forever because I loved it so much. They'd have Willie Ames. Uh, I was catching up on these two. There's one with Lee McCloskey, you know, from Terminator who shows up um, as a suitor for Vicky, Captain Steubing's daughter. So they had a very specific uh, methodology about it. I mean, it looks crazy from today's viewpoint. It looks kind of schlocky, but it was really specific. There was like a funny every week. There were three, segments there was a funny segment that was more slapsticky usually involving like the crew and you know we're not going to let canned laughter get in the way even though there's no way there would be a sitting laughing audience on a cruise ship but they would pour the laugh machine out over everything uh then there was like a a tears like a more serious one where like the you know the the score would get like a little um more serious at the end and then there was like um, a love, you know, just like a straight out love story. Usually those were the three that would go. And it yeah. went that way, you know, for years and years and people loved it. So seeing it for the first time. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so curious. Did it just seem like something from just the distant, distant past for you? <laughs> well, it's just so 
distinct because like you said there's always those three stories um usually like you said they fall into those three categories um sometimes sometimes you know there'll be there won't be as sad or dramatic a one there'll be different types of happier ones but usually it's, it is those three types i must have gotten all the serious ones then because the, all the random episodes i've watched the crew were having serious serious issues. serious <laughs> well really? yeah interest that's interesting it was messed up there's a lot of episodes because this was on for 10 years. Yeah. So, I mean, the last the last like special aired in 1990. Uh, so it was on for a long time. Um, so that's interesting, Noel. But um, but what was so distinct for me is, again, you have those three parts that were like written by different writers and like just completely mm-hmm. separate. Like there would always be a few scenes that connect all the different like the people working on the ship and everything um, so that there was, there was a little more cohesion between the different storylines and maybe you could have had if you didn't have that, the, those couple of scenes of connective tissue. But for me, it was just, it's because it's an hour. So it's like this breezy mm-hmm. kind of hangout feel, right? They're, they're all at work. They're all working, but you never see them working unless they're like carrying a clipboard or right. maybe mixing some drinks, but like they're pretty much never working. So it's just basically a hangout comedy that has a lot of guest stars. Yeah. But because in, in the tone it's going for, would like unless there were, one of them was a, a cop and the, and there were, another one was not a cop and this was USA, you would not never have an hour long with this tone now. And so that was what was so interesting for me is the way that it does all these different stories. You have so many episodes, which means that they at, at a certain point they just the stories get ridiculous so that they don't repeat themselves mm-hmm. too much, which was fun. But you wouldn't have just like a Let's let's watch some new kids fall in love, guys. Um, and everything will be happy by the end of the episode. Always like horrible trauma can happen. But at the end of the episode, everybody's happy. And normally now I feel like that would be a half hour thing and nobody would try to do an hour. So it was I don't know. It was just very interesting. For me. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting point. Noel, what was your experience? Had you seen uh, any love boat before this? I'd seen some, uh, not a whole lot, and I never really like sat down to like watch it, watch it. Um, in part because I think when I watched these episodes, they were had entered syn- syndication by then, so I was just like kind of half watching them. Or my mom had them on, and I was just in the room, sort of thing. So I'd seen episodes, and I was generally familiar with it, but I had never really sat down to watch an episode prior to this. And even then, I only got to watch like four or five episodes to prep for this uh in which like the captain had serious uh issues with his daughter and she was coming on board the ship i think for like the first time to stay and it was like this big to do and then another episode had isaac um with a single mom and he the mom was desperately in love with him he was so great with her kid and he was just like, I'm not sure I'm going to get married. And he kept like kind of not wanting to tell her he didn't want to get married. So I, I ended up getting like two of the really serious crew plots. But then I also got a crew plot where Gopher found $47,000 and didn't want to tell anyone. And the doctor thought he was having a threesome all weekend because he was staying in his cabin to keep the money safe. So, yeah, I got I got the whole range of the love boat experience, I think. But I also got Tom Hanks' sex god. Which was a, <laughs> yeah. Which was a really that interesting... That hair, thing. man. No, uh, 80s Tom Hanks is the best Tom Hanks. Uh, no, so, it no. like broke my brain, Noel. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> handle dude bro like Tom Hanks at all. <laughs> mm. I need my Tom Hanks... Like, young Tom H- Hanks has to be wacky for me. <laughs> 
So, no, I, I had really enjoyed uh, the episodes I watched. Uh, like Kate, um, I, I agree that it's something that I don't think would necessarily be on TV this today, but I also feel like a lot of it was enjoyably kind of, you say schlocky, um, Gwen, and some of it just kind of felt vaguely skeezy in kind of a Barney Stenson sort of way sometimes, that... I just went, well, this is really fascinating to see this kind of play out in the 70s and the push towards more risque type of comedy within the, within the late 70s, early 80s uh, mold. Um, I had read a really good academic book um, whose title I can't remember. I remember the author, but I can't remember the title uh, about this push towards more sexual comedy and sexual content within 1970s television. And the, she, the writer talked about The Love Boat a bit and how the show kind of pushed those kind of ideas. And to that end, like one of the episodes I did, the episode I watched right before we started recording, like a woman, it's a single mom, well, a soon to be single mom. She's pregnant and her, uh, her husband had run off. And the doctor was just like, so you know your options are, you know what options are open to you. And she's like, oh, I don't want to get an abortion. I'm just like, whoa, lady. We don't say the A word on TV, okay? <laughs> or if you do, you get a parental discretion warning, and there is no parental discretion warning. I mean, the Carmichael show had a discussion about contraception, and it was just like, whoa, people. Calm down. <laughs> uh, so, no, it was, it was very interesting to watch this, because, I mean, my knowledge of 1970s television is sadly really limited. I, I'm familiar with, like, 50s and 60s, and then late 80s into the 90s but the 70s were like a weird gap space for me so it was just an interesting experience to watch this and see kind of how it worked as very consistently like you said Gwen within those steady story beats that are all interesting and funny but still just enough to keep everyone even keeled a bit Right, like it would always set to zero at the end. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just like everything, everybody's there to have a good time. They do a really good job of trying of cap capturing like the at the vacation atmosphere, the escapism that clearly that's what, you know, the spelling was going right. for. Like if yeah. this was on the air now, mm -hmm. it would be like the, well, if they actually talked about what it's like to live on the type of salary that the crew would actually be making. But I feel like it would be like, they can't, you know, like the, everybody would have, all the crew would have these like really dramatic things happening in their lives and they'd be like struggling to make ends meet and they'd have like strained relationships right. with partners uh, who were at home and like it would be so, they would, they would need to have like significant drama going on. Right. There'd be one very special norovirus episode every season. Yeah, totally. And, <laughs> and I, I'm not interested in that show. I'm way yeah. more interested actually in this show. <laughs> right. And it's also in part because just from a personal experience, the idea of going on a cruise every week as an audience member is just horrifying to me because they're just floating prisons. <laughs> um, but so this this kind of cruise, I would still never, ever go on. But I see the appeal in being on this kind of an, on this cruise line, basically. Definitely. Yeah, I think what I what you were saying about the parameter, what I always liked about the show is like everything sets to zero and there is no real progression from week to week. So unlike shows of today. So one reason why I want to do the Julie and Gopher episode with you guys is, come on, if that show was now, there would be a will they, won't they stretched out 
for centuries, right? There's no way that they would have a kiss like that and then wrap it up in an episode and never talk about it again. And that's exactly what happened on this show. They're like, oh, we're better friends over, which is unheard of nowadays. And they've got good chemistry, too. It's like, I think they. I love that episode. Yeah, they played it really really well. Yeah. yeah, Fred Grandy, he uh, he wound up being a Republican congressman. Yes, I was. And I was say that. <laughs> and now he's, um, but his son Charlie Grandy is now my favorite writer on the Mindy Project. And he writes his, and so Fred Grandy, I don't know how old he is now, but he shows up every once in a while. He was uh, actually a suitor for Mindy's um, boyfriend's mom on the show. He's a doctor, and he still wanders in at the Mindy Project, and I still love him because he's gopher. I'm like, there he is, Fred Grandy. No, he's about – he's in his 70s, I think. So, But, yeah, he was like a four-term congressman in the House of Representatives for Iowa. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the whole cast, I think, is really likable. And there's, of course, it's 10 seasons, so there's some changeover, but, like – even just because I tried to catch like episodes from the first season all through to like the last, I tried to like do a sampling of different like times within the show. Um, but they still, I think they do a really good job of 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 making these characters likable um, and making you want to spend time with them. Just like again, that that balance of interesting and fun enough that you want to spend time with them, but they don't want it necessarily lingering. They, they don't want you like having right. dramatic element. You know, it's like, it's, it's fun, but it's like we've said, it's very self-contained. So there's also an element of, there's an element of sameness to them that I find really <clears throat> interesting because like, th- like they have, there's distinct dynamics within the cast, but it's not the whole, they want, it's more important to them to keep the tone of the show. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And and again, right. when I'm looking at the, like how we do television, how most people, you know, like uh, their approach television now versus, you know, when this was on the air, that also feels like a really distinct thing. Like and maybe maybe you uh, guys have different thoughts on it, but is, like was there like a breakout character who like stole the show or anything cuz for with the episodes I watched it seemed like it was really balanced and it was just again they're going for the tone, they're going for this escapist feel more than Let's make let's like have this particular character pop or this cast member really get extra scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question and um, shows how insightful you are about the history of TV. There was no Fonzie on this show. If there was a breakout character, it was the boat. <laughs> I think that like resonated with people more than anything. And in fact, like Princess uh, Cruise Lines, Princess Paradise Cruise Lines, whatever it was, actually the cruise industry had a resurgence after this show. And later years, like they had Gavin McLeod come in and be like the spokesperson, you know, yeah. the real love boat. Uh, and even though, Noel, I'm with you. I made my kids watch the Poseidon Adventure because I'm like, this is why we're never going on a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, I'm claustrophobic and I get seasick. You know, forget the Disney cruises, kids. It's never going to happen. Uh, but I, but I would go. But I would watch this show every week because I think it's, it's just the escapist part. So it, they really kept it as the ensemble. They used the crew as a framing device for all these other right. crazy guest stars to come in and out. It was also really fun to see, you know, these characters in a different element. So like Donnie Most from Happy Days, you know, which was a show set in the 50s. 
you know, Kate, you saw him on the Alaska cruise. Now he's like the dishy best man who gets to make out with Julie. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's him. But Tony Roberts, you know, Woody Allen player is like Julie's lost love. Like, it's, it's just bizarre. There's a I tried to find it online. There's a brilliant later episode, My Hand to God, Andy Warhol, who turned down Lorne Michaels, you know, was trying to get him to host Saturday Night Live. He didn't do that, but he went on the love boat because I he totally loved celebrity. He loved that. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's the, and, oh, and the episode is so great because Mrs., uh, Oh, it's ABC. There's, so there's a lot of ABC people on it because of the network. So Mrs. Sure. Cunningham, Marion Ross, is on it. And uh, she's with her husband, married to Howard, Mr. Cunningham, Tom Bosley, different names and everything. But she was an old uh, Warhol superstar. And so she keeps running away from Andy Warhol because she's afraid that he's going to recognize her. Um, and she doesn't want her husband to be scandalized that she was like this in New York. She was a factor. So that's crazy. Right. And I think Joan Collins is on the same episode. It's like if you're, you know, a glutton for that kind of like celebrity um, punishment, you know, this show was perfect. It was crazy stuff like that would happen all the time. There was uh, Ethel Merman played Gopher's mom. Um, There's a really sweet episode that had Haley Mills from the um, Parent Trap, Juliet Mills, her sister, who was Nanny from Nanny the Professor, and John Mills their father and I think they were all on different storylines but then they just had them come together on the bridge and sing a song like they just happened to run into each other to show like those three members of this acting family being together like they could do weird stuff like that because everybody wanted to be on the love boat like if you're really good you got to go on the cruise uh you you know most of it was filmed on set which was really kind of a logistical nightmare to get all that straight but then a couple times a year they would actually go to Panama or Hong Kong or Alaska and then those you know those guest stars were like oh we got the good gig because we got to (laughs) go to Hawaii or whatever Patrick Duffy told me that he's like well yeah you could be on a regular love boat but it was really good to get on like a good love boat and then you actually got to go on the cruise and you know and get paid for going on a cruise which is a pretty good gig. We, and, and the other thing I thought was really interesting, mentioning the cast and the different um, playing with their personas and their previous things. What was really fun for me, uh, one of the things that was really fun is like some of these characters, like the doctor who's by standards now, like kind of schlubby doctor guy, right? Married four times, lady shorts. killer. Lady killer. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, like, totally. <laughs> It, it was it's just you know so i the episodes i watched either he's like was it suzette suzanne plachette is like all over him and um the guy from ash is like following him around stalking him to study him or he, he's like consoling the bombshell of the week uh, who's not going to actually hook up with him is going to hook up with somebody else. Like those are the two options <laughs> that I saw with him. Right. So, which I, I, and I should have kept track of which seasons they were on, if they like changed up the dynamic or if it was just week to week, but like they, they were really comfortable taking some of these characters and putting them in like the, making them the romantic lead for the episode or put, or making them the, like side bit character. And I think that goes to the flexibility of the model. When again, the most important story element is just the tone and the the uh like and fun you know and that's what they care most about is not Mm -hmm. necessarily about a dramatic through line 
Right. Well, Doc actually had both those sides to, uh, to his character throughout the series. Mm-hmm. He was an officer. He was the only person allowed to call uh, Captain Steubing and Merrill, you know, in their, in their private times together and their chats in the captain's lounge or whatever. Um, but if there was ever anything crazy medical, anything mental, you know, he was just the absolute expert. There's a great episode that you guys should – now I'm thinking of all these great episodes. Patty Duke and Ricky Nelson, two, like, you know, teen stars from the 60s, uh, Rick, Rick Nelson is an amnesiac uh, that Patty Duke was in love with, but he because he's lost his memory, he doesn't remember her on the cruise ship, and she, she's talking to Doc the whole time. You know, she wants to him to remember her, but she doesn't want to push him into some sort of psychotic break. And of course, just because he's a doctor, he's a total expert on you know anything medical. He was a, he was a complete expert, which uh, was just funny. But yeah, you're uh, Noel, you're saying about like sex sexuality in 1970s tv think of that scene with tom hanks at the at the pool where there's women just clawing him he's right, in a speedo basically just... <laughs> he's just there it's it must be the perm i don't know what it is uh you know people are always like you know my cabin's on the lido deck like it was just implied that people were just sleeping with each other right. all over that that boat and that was the entire point of the cruise was we're going to hook up with as many people as possible. And it's just like, that sounds like a terrible idea from a health perspective. <laughs> I know it's only been a day, but I think I love you. Right. Constantly. Working its magic. Yes. Yeah. That happened all the time. I thought it was really, uh, like, I thought that that double standard was really interesting because they are totally comfortable with with ca- their characters being really sexual and having and having a lot of desire and and looking for you know that that you know more like a physical element to a relationship, but they all have to tell each other mm-hmm. that they love each other and that and they're all going to leave the the boat and get married like every single couple. Mm-hmm. Right, even the guy is like, I I can't stand that you're carrying another man's man's baby mm-hmm. but he's totally on board when he comes to got time to go off board <laughs> i've had time to think about it overnight yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that episode literally has one of the characters not all men a rape survivor though and i feel like i have to mention that she's like well i got raped and my husband left me and her like childhood friends like well but you realize not all men are gonna act like that and I was like, really? Really? You're, you're just not all mend your friend over some guy she met on this three-day cruise? Like how she should give this guy she who's been pressuring her uh, to, to hook up the uh, more more respect and more space because maybe he won't abandon her the way that her husband did after she was assaulted? I was like, what am I wow. watching? Because I think that, that <laughs> like, I had just watched the episode that was super, like, comfortable with discussing abortion either the same episode or i, or mm-hmm. I watched it like right before and so the, the whiplash was very jarring for me well my favorite jarring but was i watched an episode in which two people who had served on a highly contentious jury ended up on the boat and by the end they're like all lovey-dovey and everything but she's just like let me show you how he couldn't have choked her in choked her husband in bed and she's like straddling him. He's face down. And she's like, no, 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 this won't work. Turn around. And it's just like, are we doing auto? Are we doing erotica asphyxiation right now? And I mean, that's like, she's got her hands around his neck. And it's, she's just like, you know, 
you're you're kind of cute and he's just like you know you're kind of cute too and i'm just like what the hell is happening right now (laughs) what kind of bizarre foreplay did they need for this Yeah, well, that was kind of a spelling trademark. You know, he sexualized everything, kicked it up a notch. We should, you know, if you guys want me to come back and talk about Charlie's Angels, I would be glad to because it's kind of more of the same. Um, And that's what, you know, in the 70s is what people wanted. The door had been opened. You know, people wanted to see this on their TV. And there were lots of uh, plots that involved, like, say there were, like, two women. I don't know. Maybe they had a friend who was a stowaway, and so they were trying to keep Gopher away from their friend. So they would just like basically make out with him, you know, on the on the pool deck. Like each each one would take like the side of a neck and just go at him. Like those women were going at at Tom Hanks. Like that was just a thing that apparently maybe that's why all those people went on the cruises. They're like, oh, this could happen. <laughs> well, and I did really like um, one of the episodes. They would end. They would do things like end an episode with Suzanne Summers. It might even be the pilot where you're watching this woman, a young woman, uh, out having fun, you know, just having a good time. And at the end of the episode, you find out that she's a mom of two. And why not? And there's no judgment to it at oh, all. Oh, I do remember that episode now. Yeah, with uh, Jimmy Walker, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so yeah, it was it was just it was just super a nice little surprise where it's you know again letting these characters have a little bit, like, a, just a shred. Not a lot, because we're not spending a lot of time on it, but a shred more dimension than maybe we would expect from, you know, like, what we expect uh, sexualized characters to be like on television, to, to be, like, more judged or more shamed. And so I appreciate that they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I guess I hadn't really thought about it on, a, on an intellectual level before, but, yeah, it was totally cool for unmarried people to hook up on the love boat with absolutely no judgment, pretty much almost constantly. I mean, that's kind of like the unofficial theme of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, we are approaching the end of our time, so before we run out of time, any final guest stars we want to mention, uh, subplots or memorable uh, elements? Uh, Noel, I'll throw to you first. Um, I had such a small sampling size, though. I'm glad I just randomly picked the Tom Hanks episode. Um, but I, I did have a um, Florence Henderson episode uh, in which she tried to steer an old childhood friend away from his wife basically so that they could hang out and maybe hook up so that was really fun with uh, mother partridge trying to seduce an old childhood friend away from his wife (laughs) um which i enjoyed thoroughly uh so i think i'll go with that one as my last little like coin toss for this gwen the other two-parter i like if you want to alaska is great because it's just it's beautiful I mean, it make you even without like they couldn't get any of the bathing suit parts or the usual sexy parts of Love Boat because they're in Alaska, and yet it's just <laughs> gorgeous. And I think the the love love story is great with Lisa Hartman and Mark Harmon uh, and all the parts of like you know Julie's love story. So I, in my opinion, that that's as good as the show ever got. Alaska, unfortunately, it went on for like seven more seasons after that, and Lauren. Tweez had a coke problem, so she had to be replaced. They brought in Judy McCoy, her sister, and then um, that guy who's a show killer on... Ted McGinley. Uh, like, yeah, he came as Ace, the photographer, and then, oh, you know, the ship basically sank. He's the worst. <laughs> it's, it's just terrible. funny. <laughs> 
Hey, so ship's photographer, like, again, like, that's a job. Like, he basically just walks around. Yeah, you're right. They never, ever show them working. Um, but it's, uh, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it because I think it's a really, it's still a fun watch. The, the last thing I'll mention is, because I did mention at the top, but the theme song is really good. Like, it's perfect. It so perfectly captures the tone of the show. And it also, like, mm. the... They they use it as scoring, like not infrequently, like a like a toned down version of it, and it it just like mm-hmm. immediately transports you, and it's like this is right. it's not this is not like the greatest television show of all time. This is not you know epic no. artistic statement. However, it it holds up way more than it should. Like like that on paper, <laughs> I would ever think that it should, and I, I things like how perfectly the the theme song and the scoring that goes with it like fits the tone of everything else mm-hmm. help, help make it this sort of like bubble of a show that just i just keep mm-hmm. waiting for i kept waiting to like not like to, to to need to stop or like i need a break i'll come back to it later but it is i'm right. super happy to just kind of let it go and just you know do some do i was doing a lot of invoicing while i was watching i'll be honest but <laughs> it was a great way to help me not get too distracted from my invoicing but still be able to watch and enjoy the episode and like so for people looking for a blast from the past or if you're curious about this thing i think that actually surprisingly love boat holds up excellent oh, i'm so glad i'm so glad that worked out yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on, Gwen, and for for I would have never watched the show if you hadn't come on. And you're gonna have to come back so we can talk Charlie's Angels because now you've teased that, and I need it to happen. Uh, but where can our listeners what? No find problem. you? Find you and your work online. Uh, I am at avclub.com. I'm the only Gwen on the site, so I'm pretty easy to find. I I'm in the TV club section. I review shows like The Mini Project, like I mentioned. Just wrapped up the family. My Nashville finale uh, review is up right now. Oh, and I got to step in on Dancing with the Stars this week, which was fun. So variety of stuff, but I'm as addicted to TV as you guys. So enjoy. Good times. And thank you once more for coming on, Gwen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.